Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode of the Cult Pop Show podcast was brought to you by our Patreon. If you want to tell us which films we should watch, get up to two extra exclusive podcasts a month, give us something to talk about in the post credit scene at the end of each episode, or join us for our monthly movie club Zoom call where we discuss a film together, then please consider joining the cult and donating at www.patreon.com slash cultpopshow. Right, hello everybody, and welcome to the Cold Popcha podcast. You're of course listening to Fort Frit. You're of course uh-huh. listening to Film Franchise. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. You're listening to Film Franchise Fortnights on the Cold Popcha podcast. I am AJ, joined as usual by Richard. Hi, Richard. What's up? Hey, mate. And uh, we have a very special guest to talk to us about uh, this Fortnite's franchise. Uh, with us, it's American comedian, internet celebrity, and all-around pop culture guy. I don't know what you'd prefer, Michael. Uh, it's Michael Swain. Hey, Michael. Hey, howdy. <laughs> Happy to be here. I really just have an interest in and around cults. Uh, you said you're nervous. I assume that's because I'm American. We're prone to fits of public violence and justified, you know, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Um, our listeners may know Michael from uh, his fantastic web series such as After Hours or Agents mm. of Crack oh, over yeah. at crack.com uh, or your new online comedy networks. It's still new. It's a couple years old now. But it's post-cracked, yeah? We're small three. Beans. Yeah, small nice. beans. Small beans is roughly three. Mm. Cool. Awesome. So, uh, <laughs> not to make this awkward and uh, gushy up top, but Michael, <laughs> uh, it would be an understatement to say that uh, your work has had a massive influence on us here at Cop Popsha. Um, and part of the reason we wanted to come on you to come on and chat with us about the Meet the Parents series is because that's sort of what we're doing right now by talking to you. Oh, because I'm old enough to be your parents? No, because you're our daddy. You're our content daddy. You're our pop culture comedy content daddy. Much like Dustin Hoffman, you'll later find out some stuff that'll make you want to distance yourself from me. I get it. (laughs) No, uh, that means so much. Thank you guys for the kind words. And hey, lean into that awkwardness, you know, because that's really Mm. at the core of the comedy of the franchise we're talking Mm. about. So I think we should just stew in it for as long as we can. Yeah. Well, if it makes it it more awkward, I can tell you that um, AJ has been planning that joke for for a month um and uh it would have i i was tempted to send you an email uh not off the cop opster email account but just from my own um just being like hey aj's gonna make this joke please don't laugh at it um to really <laughs> to really put us into that kind of um you know jack burns gaylord fokker kind of relationship i was gonna say is that because it's appropriate to the franchise or are you just a bad friend and that's the kind of thing you do 
A little bit of column A, a little bit of column there B. You go. Um, yeah, if you were to, I, I don't expect you to have, but if you were to look at any of our YouTube content or anything, Michael, you'd probably be like, this is very similar voice to um to my own i think um we we recently did a series called um uh what was it called <laughs> does compute no 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 we did it we i do, do, i was raised on does com, does not compute man like <laughs> that, that was like the my first like internet pop culture this is so embarrassing nice. i did not expect to be gushing this much i'm so sorry this is <laughs> as awkward as, as i was more. hoping it would be more <laughs> <laughs> mm. We made a show called Ready to Record, which was like mm. what what we talk about before we record the podcast, which is, as I'm sure you've figured out, very similar to After Hours. Um, oh, sure. So we yeah, got yeah. a we got a comment once that was like, "This is just like After Hours," and it was like, "Oh my god!" AJ the, cried. The nicest. <laughs> yes, yeah, you consider it a compliment. I mm. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, maybe I will be more confident and less awkward if we just jump into it. I doubt um, it. So this, this is, of course, Film Franchise Fortnights, where we talk about a film franchise every fortnight. And this fortnight, we're talking about Meet the Parents. It's a series of four, that's right, four films. Right, yeah, yeah. notably. Uh, more well known for its trilogy of Meet the Parents in 2000, Meet the Fockers in 2004, and Little Fockers in 2010, uh, though we did discover <laughs> relatively late in the game <laughs> that there is an original movie that the first film is a remake of. It's an independent comedy from 1992, also called Meet the Parents, and we sent you a frantic email after we'd finally sorted everything out, and we're like, oh, there's another one, is that okay? And you were <laughs> like, yep, that's all good. So we watched that one as well. I did indeed. I've got a lot to say about that one, but I'll save it. Sweet. So, uh, broadly speaking, the series follows the general conceit of a clumsy idiot protagonist trying and failing to impress his strict and scary father-in-law, played by Ben Stiller and Robert De Niro, respectively, in the main trilogy of films. And rounding out the rest of the cast, we also have uh, Blythe Danner, Dustin Hoffman, Barbara Streisand, Terry Polo, Owen Wilson, Ray Santiago, Jessica Alba, Laura Dern, Harvey Keitel, Kevin Hart, and Emo Phillips, who appeared briefly in the original 1990 version um and it's probably also worth noting that randy newman also scored the remake and the first sequel and very clearly not the original (laughs) (laughs) or the third one for that matter yeah (laughs) um so so meet the parents is is quite shockingly um uh like it's made a lot of money i didn't know about this before we before we took it on but the Mm. meet the parents series is actually the 49th highest grossing series of all time uh grossing over one billion dollars worldwide which is very strange for a comedy series with a Mm -hmm. primarily adult audience the only one that beats it is the hangover trilogy um and Richard, you pointed out to me a couple of days ago that Robert De Niro's uh, top five highest grossing films include Joker, Meet the Fockers, Meet the Parents, Shark Tale, and Little Fockers. (laughs) That's his top five. (laughs) Fascinating, because I've often found myself, I'm I'm weirdly never, like uh, gangster films never really appealed Mm. to me. And yet I've always loved Robert De Niro as an actor and always wished he found a way to do more alternate things. But now that you read that list, I'm like, I guess he did. And we (laughs) loved it. And he made a bunch of money. And we all went home happy. But 
None of those are the movies that, of course, you would think of if you just name Robert De Niro and ask someone to list his filmography. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, because yeah. like I kind of respect the phase of his career that he's in. That he's just like, yeah, fuck it, sounds funny. Um, like <laughs> there's there's behind the scenes things of him talking about uh, taking on Dirty Grandpa, which was you know a famously mm-hmm. badly received movie. Um, and he's like, yeah, I get to like chill out with Zac Efron and pretend to have sex with Aubrey Plaza. Like, yeah, why wouldn't I do it? And then Aubrey Plaza's <laughs> like, why'd you do it? And she's like, yeah, I get to pretend to have sex with Robert De Niro. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the first film we're going to talk about today is Meet the Parents, the original from 1992. It was directed by a guy named Greg Glienna. I think that's how you would pronounce it. Um, it has no score on Rotten Tomatoes and is barely even registered on the website. It doesn't have any of the information. It, there's a there's a movie on the Rotten Tomatoes database called Meet the Parents 1992. That's about all the information that website uh, <laughs> provides. <laughs> uh, so that's the that's the obscurity, I guess, of what this movie. Well, let's kind put it of- this way. The big name in it is Emo Phillips. Emo Phillips <laughs> is your A-lister, Robert De Niro, Dustin Hoffman, yeah, yeah. Barbara Streisand anchor that's uh, putting butts in seats. But yeah. man, what a fascinating watch. Yeah. Knowing that this was ultimately snowballed into a billion-dollar comedy franchise mm. with the some of the greatest stars on earth, yeah. uh, it's just so fascinating, especially because... The only feature length thing I've been a part of thus far, knock on wood, also <laughs> available on YouTube. Kill me now. Full mm-hmm. movie on YouTube. Check it out. Similar ambitions and like aims and uh, probably budgets. And it was just interesting <laughs> to see one that ended up as a billion dollar franchise yeah. and uh parse all the comedy through my nerd brain one that's still to achieve that yeah Yeah. and you know what there are parts that are jarringly home movie-ish and there are parts where i totally get i can get in um you know ben stiller's header whoever who was the driving do we know who was the driving force behind optioning the idea and and developing it because i can see the potential in the idea that they saw if they go in knowing all right, I'm going to change everything and all the bits and make the jokes my jokes and not mm. end it with a suicide because that's kind of <laughs> yep. tonally weird and jarring. Yep. But uh, but I but I'm going to buy this and I'm going to turn it into this mm. and that's going to sell. And they were right. Whoever it was. Was it Ben Stiller? <laughs> uh, it was one of the producers, actually. Yeah, yeah, like the conglomerate Universal Pictures. But the, like the, the whole reason this is so obscure is like, is a, a calculated effort by Universal, right, to to bury this film. Essentially, I made someone stumbled across it and was like, oh, fuck, yeah, someone meets the parents and it's an awkward thing. Um, and it's like they probably could have just stolen the idea and made something mm. reasonably close, but they're like, no, no, we're going to buy this and bury it so that no one can accuse us of plagiarism. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah, you barely – I mean – the father-in-law is not even a CIA operative, which changes the direction of the story like tremendously. Yeah. There are nominal things, 
Actually, something just clicked for me as well. I've also had a screenplay stolen in Hollywood and they did the exact same thing. So it's like if they hadn't, you know, optioned it and buried it, which was the right thing to do if you're going to make your own version. But uh, they changed Jinxie. There's that character essentially still exists, but it's a dog called Bingo instead of a cat called Jinxie. And again, because the original is a little grimmer than I think it it yeah, needed yeah. to be the dog dies like yeah. jing- the jinxy analog dies but um regardless i just think it's it's fascinating to see uh an analogous film that frankly they could have gotten away with they yeah. could have made it without mm. optioning it so it's cool like it's a you know local team makes good success story but it is fascinating to watch and i'm i'll forever be curious why emo phillips was involved and why emo <laughs> phillips wrote an intro song that is a very straightforward song lyrically that just goes <laughs> like meet the parents come on over and meet the parents you're gonna meet my parents a very fascinating film mm. artifact um, well, no, it's, it's it's awesome to hear your guys' perspective on this because researching this, I discovered that it's like it wasn't designed as a proof of concept, but it may as well have been. Like mm. the the this, this version for those who haven't seen it, who is probably everyone in the world. Um, <laughs> the, the, this version has a very low budget. It had almost no distribution and made almost no money. It did, however, turn industry heads and garnered some critical acclaim. And I think it's because the central concept is one of those ubiquitous ideas where it's like this will in in the the grand scheme of the universe this situation will always end up being a movie you know in every alternate universe there's a comedy (laughs) about meeting the parents i think um and it's a it's a nexus yeah yeah totally (laughs) how badly though did you want i mean obviously they changed it for like good reasons the bizarre framing device that the meet the parents Mm. story is being told by a gas station attendant who's like hey let me tell you about a time this other guy met the parents but don't you wish that the uh gentleman who was wearing the white turtleneck with the white collared button down uh was the protagonist the whole time (laughs) i I, I thought that yeah i thought that's where we were going yeah yeah so so the the framing device of this film yeah is like a guy stops for gas and the gas attendant's like where are you heading he's like, i'm going to meet my girlfriend's parents and this whole story is which it's it's one of the most like unnecessary framing devices i've ever seen <laughs> um, and i think it's because the story itself ends with um greg he is called greg in the original as well uh sort of being blamed for the suicide of his fiance's sister uh and it ends it ends with him nearly getting shot at by the father-in-law before it cuts back to the guy telling the story and you find out that like the father-in-law missed greg and killed the daughter and the wife by accident like and then died of a heart attack (laughs) yeah it it feels like it's it doesn't know how to end and it wants to end in the worst possible way sketch ending yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and so it's it's like, well, maybe if we've put it in a framing device, it'll be a little bit more palatable. Um, and then of course, when that guy leaves, another guy comes in to tell and tells the gas attend- gas station attendant that he's taking his kids to the circus and another story begins, mm. uh, which we don't see. Our film critic Jonathan Rosenbaum uh liked likes this movie quite a lot. He he thinks it's better than the remake uh, and called it the ultimate worst case scenario comedy, which I think is a is a 
a perfect way to describe the this this franchise when it's at its strengths yeah, is, right. is you know the, mm-hmm. the 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 ultimate worst case scenario um i thought what did you what did you guys think of this film did you like it more than the original or the the remake i should say did you did you hate it what do you think well i was there was a period there was a learning curve period when it mm-hmm. opens up and it's just photos of people's parents and the song that says meet the parents meet the parents <laughs> uh my jaw was on the floor and i yeah. thought i was about to see a really <laughs> a really you know obscene artifact dug up from the dustbin of history that i maybe <laughs> should have avoided but i actually found that it was fascinating to watch as a proof of concept, which I'm sure they mm. didn't want it to be. Um, <laughs> but the core elements, not just that their names are Greg and Pam, although that is there for some reason, <laughs> they kept those two names. There's none of the Fokker stuff, which of no. course becomes so important to the franchise. <laughs> yeah. um, and I feel like the other main change that you notice immediately is this took the exact amount of what I'll call like triple a Hollywood heart family is good moral center, uh, that, that the franchise has that Mm. the trilogy has instead of that, it has underground sketch comedy energy. And I would say it kind of earns that by the end, only in so far as I find the jokes much like the meet the parents trilogy, very straightforward and broad classic jokes. But, uh, this is one of the earliest examples, and I have to imagine in 92, this felt way more transgressive than it does now. Mm. Uh, the cringe comedy, the the mm. thing that's, uh, you know, a whole subgenre of like story to claim it by this point. I remember Meet the Parents, the quote unquote real one, the first Ben Stiller <laughs> one, being the one that the first film where I went, oh, my God, it's a new form of comedy. Yeah, yeah. It's some I've seen. um comedy where it's so gross it's funny i've seen comedy where for some reason there's women's tits and that's supposed to be funny (laughs) i've seen the comedy where it's so clever it's funny this is comedy that's so uncomfortable and sits in the moment for so long it's funny of course that's a tried and true format now but i think that's in our lifetimes and i think meet the parents is one of the primary movers and shakers that brought Mm. cringe comedy, which is so big in things like the office and, you know, so many things that came after, uh, that you can see that proto that even in this guy, uh, what was it? Greg Glenier or Gliena, I think Gliena, uh, you know, he has moments where that really shines through and I can see, I can see Ben Stiller doing the same kind of, pivot that just makes you go oh this is so terrible can it get any worse yeah Mm -hmm. they did something really smart which i think is take away that edge make it four quadrant make it about family is good by the end don't kill jinx don't have the (laughs) frankly like undiagnosed person with mental illness who like needs help (laughs) and instead kills himself and then you lampshade it by saying, oh, it's essentially a sketch because the gas station attendant is just lying, essentially. Yeah. Um, you know, they they did all these things to make it like a terrestrial film that could bear up and have sequels. But uh, for something that is objectively not that good, <laughs> the bones of it are interesting enough that it deserved 
to get remade. I see. I, agree. Yeah, I see yeah. the wisdom behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love. There's a certain charm to watching something that I feel like I could have made. Um, <laughs> and, and it's like, yeah, but there's some fantastic gags in this film, and yeah, it, it is that kind of. It's it's a relatable scenario, but also the kind of um that that worst case scenario thing you were saying mm-hmm. that you these are the scenarios you go through in your head, like um yeah when when he when he takes the dad's car for a drive and it's like you're terrified, it's like you know you're a good driver, oh that, that you're <laughs> not going to crash, but just getting you know blindsided and then the guy just shrugs his shoulders and drives off and there's nothing you can do about it and um um but my my favorite amazing he didn't have insurance a license or plates yeah <laughs> and it's like yeah you know it just sounds so unbelievable to then go and yeah. tell say that this happened but i will my favorite joke in the film um was uh at the start when he's trying to impress the parents and um, he mentions, you know, being a hard worker and he says, yeah, a, a, a penny saved is a penny earned. And the dad starts crying and they're like, what's wrong? And they're like, oh, his mum's name was Penny. He keeps her ashes in an urn. And I was <laughs> like, my God, how have I not heard this joke before? So it's pun. so good. How is someone, it seems like it should have been told already in a movie. Yeah, yeah. 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 How, how is this the first time I've heard that joke? Yeah. yeah. Again, yeah. it's so classic, but the the one moment that got a, a laugh out loud out of me was spilling the wine, lifting the plate, the roast sliding off and the dog coming in a frame and eating the roast, Yeah, man, it's very classic sitcom. It's like the boss mm. is coming to dinner and my yeah, shirt yeah. just shrank. Yeah. 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 I'm, I was actually surprised to, to rewatch the remake and see that the roast doesn't end up on the floor in the equivalent mm. scene. Yeah. So that's the, the thing about the remake is it's actually not the worst possible case scenario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause I thought, I thought that the original was pretty good. Um, and it's funny. Part of me wants to say it's more grounded. Like the, the, as you said, Michael, the dad's, not a CIA operative and you know yeah. the the stakes aren't as high but then it's also the most fantastical entry in the series by by the time we get to the end where the mother's lost an eye the dog's dead <laughs> and then the daughter kills herself and the dad kills everyone else by accident like it, it it goes across the entire spectrum that the the entire rest of the the franchise nests within somewhere in the middle. Absolutely, yeah. it's it's it runs the gamut. It starts mm. as more mundane than Meet the Parents, and it ends as more fantastical than, yeah, yeah. than Meet the Parents. <laughs> also, I want to like shout out to the mom and dad in the original ninety two Meet the Parents. Those quote-unquote actors who <laughs> indulged their friend's son, Greg, <laughs> like, spent their nights and weekends making this just, like, good on them. Yeah. There's some there's some uh, real, like, the whole town pulled together to make yeah. a movie this yeah, yeah. month vibe to it. <laughs> My um, nephew has an idea for a movie. <laughs> oh, you should go and go and be in it, Grant. You'll love it. <laughs> it's like, all right, okay. I'll play the the dad, the main, the most important role in the film. <laughs> um, so neither of you had heard of Greg Glenna before this. I'm glad I'm not. I'm not just. This just isn't some gap in my pop cultural knowledge. You guys never heard of him? No, I'd say most people listening to this wouldn't either. <laughs> Okay, well, good. That's that's what I'm asking because um, I I was I, I I was like this guy 
like the way it, he's written about on Wikipedia implies he's someone I should know about. Um, and so I looked him up and he didn't seem to make anything else of note. He was, he like, you know, obviously got paid out for the, the trilogy and he, he I, it's, he's credited as a writer for the remake. Um, well, yeah, it's characters based on kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but his most recent directorial venture, if you're interested, uh, was in 2013 with a film called Slut Vinka from uh, with love from Russia. So there we go. That's the <laughs> that's what he's doing now. I'll pass, but you go ahead. <laughs> Does it have a sequel? Yeah, if it has a sequel, we might have to watch it. I'll wait for the Hollywood remake version. <laughs> it's worth bringing my family to. Uh, cool. Do you guys have any more thoughts on the original 1992 Meet the Parents before we hop along? I just think you could do a whole investigative true crime podcast <laughs> series about how is Emo Phillips connected to this? Will Emo Phillips admit he did this? Uh, are they friends or did Emo Phillips just take 50 bucks to do this gig over a weekend and then yeah. forget it? Yeah. Cause he's also in the scene at the video store. And I also want to know, frankly, how they secured the video store location. <laughs> I guess by 92 video stores were already hard up and, you know, I, 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 I bet it'll be where Greg worked. Oh, um, that that's my guess, and 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 because um I've looked up Emo Phillips and Greg Glenna are both from Chicago, so maybe they just <laughs> know each other. They, they worked the a blockbuster together and saw Clerks and decided they yeah, could yeah. do yeah, that yeah, yeah, us yeah. too. Man, I love this narrative we have of this scrappy <laughs> team making it. And I got to say, I wonder how rich Greg Glenna is at this point, or if that yeah, man. if that set him for life or what. Yeah, I mean, if 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 you if the franchise as a whole made a billion dollars and his name is on yeah, and he's the getting residuals. Story by yeah, yeah, because he, he, he is. I hope um, so. Yeah, if you go on his Facebook page, um, the the website at least <laughs> Adam as a friend, <laughs> um, you get flagged by the government on a list. <laughs> his, yeah. um, his website does not exist anymore, but um, he, it does link to his YouTube channel, um, which has which is where we watched um, the the film. Right. and it's like if you go on to the comments of it someone's like how did you get a copy of this that wasn't released and he's like i made it <laughs> <laughs> all right okay so now let's move on to the main trilogy of films which started of course with meet the parents in 2000 uh this film was directed by jay roach making this our second jay roach franchise that we've covered on the podcast after austin powers um but the studio originally offered the director role to uh steven spielberg who was going to cast jim carrey uh as greg fokker Mm. uh yeah uh jay roach was offered the the job after steven spielberg uh left the project which is jay roach is the name i've been fishing for this entire time i feel bad his name should have come into this earlier uh, <laughs> jay roach certainly an important part of translating this to film mm. in a way that made a billion dollars <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah. uh so do either of you know what this has on rotten tomatoes what its critic score is on rotten tomatoes oh gosh uh, uh no but i'm gonna venture 78 percent uh yeah i was gonna say like 80 ish yeah it's got 84 percent, which is this is one of those movies where like if i looked it up and it had 58 percent, i'd be like oh yeah <laughs> that, that doesn't yeah. surprise me but no 84 percent. i guess because it, it was that kind of trailblazing cringe comedy as you were discussing mm. before michael like i think this is 
this this is such an important movie in a lot of ways um, for the current landscape of comedy. I think mm. younger listeners won't be aware of how, because it came and went. It mm. was like a rock band or Dance Dance Revolution where it had a big moment, but it passed. But the thing about I have nipples, can you milk me, mm. was mm. so... So like Anchorman spun off all these quotes that we still say to this day and, yeah. you know, other franchises have. Um, that was just as big. It just happened to have passed. But oh, there was a yeah. moment where it was mind blowing to us that Robert De Niro was talking about nipples, <laughs> like specifically that it was Robert De Niro yeah, was yeah, also yeah, yeah, a big yeah. part of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This, it felt this like it come like back first... or a big change in direction. Yeah. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah. But this would have been like his first big comedy role, right? It was a second. He'd done. Oh, fuck. What's it called? Analyze yeah, this. A- yeah, right. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. Analyze this. Oh, and he, Wag the Dog. He took he took this role because of Analyze This. He was like, hey, I want to do comedy. Is that a good De Niro voice? <laughs> um, as long as you're frowning in that yeah, weird, doing squinty that, that, way. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. thing with your mouth where it like turns mm-hmm. down, but is also a smile. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Richard... Can you briefly, in a sentence or two, tell us what is Meet the Parents about? Presuming someone is listening to this, having, you know, we've already talked about the original film without discussing the Uh, story. What is it about? Uh, So it's Greg Gaylord Fokker is, um, that's that's actually Gaylord Greg Fokker, I should say. Um, Mm -hmm. He's a nurse um, and he wants to propose to his girlfriend, but he finds out that his uh, girlfriend's sister has just gone engaged and her family was so impressed that uh, her her fiance asked for permission first in the old school so he's like fuck okay i've got to do that so he goes to meet her parents for the first time uh they're played by uh, robert de niro and blythe danner and while blythe danner is um dina um while she's you know more or less kind of open to him uh jack robert de niro's character does not like him one but he does not trust him and um while nothing seems to go right for greg um he's he's being watched uh so closely by jack who is uh as michael mentioned is a former cia operative and is using some of those kind of uh you know techniques that he learned in the cia Mm. to interrogate him and, and try and get the truth out of him but obviously at the end of it everyone kind of kind of learns and uh for the first time in this series um it will come up again um but uh jack learns to not be so uptight <laughs> yes oh, yeah, absolutely uh i think this film's enduring legacy is because of the genius casting decision of ben stiller and robert de niro like that's yeah. the entire film the entire franchise is because that's such an amazing casting decision like de niro's clout kind of makes him feel like he's too good for this movie and that's exactly the well, right not vibe. these days yeah no exactly but but back in <laughs> back in 2000 right it's like yeah you mm. get the guy who's too good to be in a dumb comedy right and it feels like like part of me wants to believe the relationship between greg and jack would be as scary as the relationship between Ben Stiller and Robert De Niro. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in fact, almost to a fault, or I, at least in the first one, I do think Blythe Danner's a little underwritten. And Pam... Mm. Hmm. almost doesn't need to exist other than to yeah, yeah. be like whoa this is even more off the rails than it previously was yeah um and but it's it's interesting especially in the wake of talking about the original that it it didn't strike me as being 
uh, this is going to be everything that could possibly go wrong escalating to infinity because infinity would be death mm. <laughs> you know, in some fashion or or at least like in the original their relationship would fall apart and that doesn't even happen he doesn't mm. even lose the relationship mm. it's instead your classic sitcom arc like if this were serialized into a sitcom i imagine yeah, yeah. a healthy 40 percent of the episodes would be jack learns to be less uptight <laughs> you know little increments yeah and uh it's almost a microcosm of a seasonal arc where Jack and Greg, uh, you know, by the end, you're feeling it's it's so ing- I don't want to tie the whole franchise together when I know we're talking about them in sequence. So let's just suffice to say that <laughs> unlike the first one where the dad is almost a placeholder character. Yeah, yeah. Off w- off of which things can go wrong or via which things can go wrong. Obviously, if you're putting Robert De Niro in that role, he's going to be a fully fleshed out character mm. with his own point of view and backstory and twists and turns that relate to his character. And so instead, and again, I think to some degree of fault because all the other characters sort of take a back seat, but instead of it becoming this through line of it's all about Greg and from his point of view, and it's just everything going wrong around him. It instead becomes this dual protagonist or protagonist antagonist thing, right? Where it's Greg versus Jack. Jack hates Greg by number three. They're probably going to kiss each other in some (laughs) wacky fashion and be best friends. But right now they hate each other. And that's, what's really funny. And uh, and it is. Yeah. And I think you're right that the casting is just stellar and it continues to be casting continues to be such a driving force for this franchise. Mm. But uh, Ben Stiller, you know, he's got chops. <laughs> he I think mm-hmm. he holds his own as yeah, well, yeah. like especially because the fact that comedy is his genre sort of put him on an even footing with Robert De Niro, mm. who otherwise, mm. if it were a drama, I almost wouldn't be looking at Ben Stiller. So I think it's important that it was De Niro sort of slumming it in Ben Stiller's dojo. Yeah. No, that's a good one. And yeah. and they hit a perfect average, which yeah. this film is. It's a such a pleasant average. <laughs> I think yeah, I th- I really like Greg and Jack, like that they're both super imperfect people and again, the sequels don't do this as well, but in this one, they're both you know pretty shitty in different ways and they're their journeys allow them both to change and both become better and i think that's a super complex relationship for a comedy of this pedigree you know that 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 relationship that they have by the end of the film of this like you know like the 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 strict father and the the clumsy idiot son-in-law but they they have this respect and this this you know i'll say love for each other by the end of it that um right compared to um zoolander or something about mary like i actually think it's stiller did the did the does this more as he's gotten older but it's definitely or i feel like it's the first major turn for him where he struck that chord of almost uh i mean to me i it's all wrapped up it by saying that Part of the enjoyment of the franchise is also the fact that they all live in homes that look like they're straight out of a catalog. <laughs> like there's a there's an undercurrent of watching these films is pleasant to me in the same morphine drip way that it's pleasant <laughs> to watch HGTV or, uh, you know, the Great British Bake Off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's it's it's not edgy in a way. It's it's 
anti-edgy, which is so fascinating to me because the cringe comedy aspect then again brings me back around where I'm like, but yet it was edgy at the time. <laughs> I remember thinking, this is unique. This is bizarre. I feel weird. This is different than comedy I've seen. But I just think it's speaks to how much comedy is a time capsule because this particular trend has been done so much since that I even now rewatching this franchise, uh, it feels of an era. Oh, it feels yeah, yeah. like of one era in the past. I totally agree because I, I hadn't seen Meet the Parents since I was like 11 or 12 and I'm 27 now. So mm. I remember at the time when I first saw Meet the Parents feeling it was so hard to watch. Like it was the cringiest <laughs> thing I'd ever seen. Um, but I got to say the amount of cringe comedy that I've come to see in the years since watching this movie Meet the Parents kind of feels a little tame or a little, yeah, a little it's a cake signposted. Walk. Yeah, it's some, something like uh, Greg popping the champagne, which breaks the urn of Jack's mother's ashes and then the cat running across and pooping in it. It's a very clear set of dominoes being <laughs> knocked down. You know, they're all mm. these Chekhov's guns that are very, very succinctly and eloquently set up. You learn all these little pieces of information before they all come to a, to a crescendo. And... Uh, I think if you compare that to something like Curb Your Enthusiasm, it feels a little obvious. Like if you've seen the um, the Michael J. Fox episode of Curb, um, I think yeah. that's like a masterpiece in this sort of setup mm. all come falling down in, in one go because all the setups are very ambiguous. And that episode in particular is setups for 25 minutes and then it all comes crashing down in a matter of seconds you know and so mm, yeah and compared to that um or something like the office like you were saying michael like it it feels a little i don't yeah it's it's not as hard to watch as i remembered it was. i mean for me the gold standard of this genre is the wedding episode of peep show if you've seen i have i have not but um, okay I've heard, I've heard highly recommended but uh yeah cringe comedy got to a point where I mean, spoiler alert for that episode of a, yeah, of a very good. old show at this point. Like, you're you're literally pissing on wedding guests. Right. Whereas I'm trying to think, what is the worst? Or eating dog is right. another example from Peep Show. <laughs> yeah. Eating someone's dog that you kill. Mm. But what is... Um, <laughs> What is the worst thing uh, Gaylord Fokker does? Is it burn the yard or flood the yard with poo? Yeah, I think. yeah it's it's that Arguably whole, the, burn the, the whole gazebo. Wedding, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I the think. fire yeah. mixed with the poo. Mm. Um, and and yeah, it is so interesting. I liken it to. I also remember playing Final Fantasy VII for the first time, yeah. and thinking that computer graphics had reached their pinnacle because there was no reason to improve them further yeah. because it was like indistinguishable from life. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is photorealistic. <laughs> um, and it's an interesting effect to, I, I watch it uh, and think of it as a very enjoyable family-friendly comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember when I watched it back in the day and I couldn't, I was like, I can't handle this scene in some of the yeah. scenes. When he's on the roof. I was like, I can't handle like, oh, how fuck, much my heart now? is <laughs> clenched. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, so the the three, I want to talk about the three biggest improvements that I think are from the, the original film for the remake. Sure. Uh, first of all, I think Greg having an awful surname, whatever that surname may be, is so, uh, you know, because that's intrinsically linked to the concept of marriage and your daughter taking on a new name so of course you yeah. make it a bad a bad surname uh, and Fokker was actually Jim Carrey's idea when he was still 
um, attached oh. to to the project. Mm. And I can totally see that. I can totally see Jim Carrey sitting around in the writer's room being like, oh, what if his last name's like Fucker or something? You know, like it's, it's totally, <laughs> it's such a Jim Carrey idea. And um, I was reading that like the role of Greg Fokker had to be reduced when Ben Stiller was cast instead because it was this physical, you know, yeah. physical comedy role. And Ben Stiller is like the opposite of that. Ben Stiller is, is his funniest when he's the straight man almost, you know. So yeah. um, really interesting to, to give him such a, uh, you know, blatantly horrible last name. It, it feels like it would have, it, it, it feels like it would have fit with Jim Carrey's version, mm. and it doesn't fit with Ben Stiller's version, which is why it's such a great last name. <laughs> it gave us the Martha Fokker joke, yeah, which exactly. was yeah. one of the favorites in my circle at the time, mm. if I recall. <laughs> uh, but I'm also, I, I enjoy Jim Carrey very much, especially of a certain era, mm. and I do think uh, it works like a Liar Liar, for example. Mm. It works really well. Uh, Jim Carrey's whole shtick. Or the mask even more so. But I don't know that I would have liked the Jim Carrey. Nah, yeah. If Jim Carrey just did his yeah. Jim Carrey thing, I think that could have overwhelmed what Robert De Niro yeah, yeah, was going to totally. bring. And I think Ben Stiller being in this was really fortuitous for the franchise yeah. because he gave us this tone that we're describing that is, at the same time, I don't know that, certainly not to the tune of a billion dollars, I don't know that the public at large at the time this launch, this ship launched, was ready for a truly edgy, grimly dark comedy that ends with multiple murder-suicides. We are now, there are, th <laughs> like, um, what we do in the shadows, yeah, yeah. you know, is literally about vampires and they murder people left and right. We have have such a thick layer of irony that we're like, who yeah. cares? It's mm. it's a joke show. Yeah. I like but that after your Peep Show reference didn't land, you used one that New Zealand audiences would understand. <laughs> who would absolutely know. There we go. Um, so anyway, in the Frighteners. No. <laughs> hey, I, I live about 20 minutes from where they filmed the Frighteners, so there you go. That well, in Meet the Feebles. Uh, no, but where was I? Oh, oh, I just think Ben Stiller is not someone who certainly gets, I don't think, as much as many accolades as uh, Jim Carrey for his comedic performances. Mm. But without Ben Stiller, this would be a completely different movie, and it's clear from the 1992 version that you combine Ben Stiller's stuttering, like, I hate using this phrase, but beta male <laughs> shtick with uh, Robert De Niro's classic, I'm watching you, I'm going to fuck you up shtick. Yeah. Oh, what a good, what a good combo. And more importantly, what a combo that the whole family can enjoy in the year 2000. Yeah. It's, yeah. it is truly edgy and transgressive, but not so far. It's, it's yeah. clearly a stepping stone on the way to the comedies of today. Yeah. And I yeah. love that about it. I think, I think there's a, like a repressed kind of nature to Ben Stiller that really works because if you're putting yourself in a scenario where you're meeting your, your partner's parents for the first time, you, you know, you're holding a lot back. And I think Jim Carrey, yelling and falling down and all this kind of stuff it would have been funny to watch i'm sure but i the ben stiller's way of like not wanting to really overreact to anything i think works so well yeah literally the climactic scene we were talking about where he floods the yard with the septic tank and falls from the roof jim carrey would have nailed that scene mm. and i think 
hurt every other scene. <laughs> yeah, like I, I can't imagine the um, milking a cat scene, and you mentioned it before, but my god, like one of, one of the the last iconic movie lines of the of the twentieth century, and it's the best one. Um, <laughs> I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? Yeah. Um. I mean, my god, what a what a perfect. It encompasses Perfect the film. It, that that's yeah. the worst thing your your father in law could say to you. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so I, I'm I'm really enjoying all this talk about who Greg is as a character because that uh, funnels into my my second thing that I think is an improvement on the original is uh, the decision to make Greg's career a male nurse um, and a male nurse by choice as well. It's it's well established in the film that like he had the opportunity to become a doctor and um, stayed being a nurse. Uh, because it of course plays into the the uh, like the joke that men shouldn't be nurses um but it was also kind of praised at the time by a lot of people for being quite a progressive um idea because greek himself never at any point shows any like um you know he's not insecure about being a male nurse it's everyone else around him that seems to have a problem with it uh and so i think and i think especially with um uh jack being um presuming like a conservative republican type of character it it it's a knife in his side i think and in such a great way mm. it's along with Fokker, and especially it's yeah. worth mentioning as well that that debbie pam's sister is getting married to a doctor mm, and yeah. so that's kind of the thing that it's like you know he's going and he he's already asked for permission to marry Jack's daughter mm. and now he's wanting to go do the same but in almost every way Jack sees him as an inferior version of Dr. Bob. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In an objective way. I noticed that for the first time on this rewatch mm. and I do actually like that. It's like if one were an executive president and one were an executive vice president. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um I it it's such an interesting facet of comedy as a time capsule because comedy so often plays with what is taboo and transgressive. Let's talk about that, flirt with that line. Mm. Uh, and and thus it has to be like very fluent in the details of what is cheeky to say, but not all the way over the line to that it's just obscene and yeah, upsetting yeah. and offensive. Mm. That's a very detailed place to land and that's why comedy is hard and it's also why comedy is so specific to the time and place and culture Mm. in which it was created and you see this happen so frequently but i think that did that stood out to me the most as dating the movie immediately (laughs) in terms of i don't think anyone in gen z would notice would even know (laughs) you'd have to explain to them Oh, nursing was like yeah, is yeah, totally. <laughs> there, Jack, Jack thinks that he's feminine because he's a nurse, and that'd be like, be so? like oh, that's <laughs> what's weird. wrong with being or, feminine, or is that what's yeah, what's the problem exactly? Yeah, uh, and you're like, and that was progressive at the time because see, Greg doesn't even care, and they're like, yeah, why would anyone care about that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and the third thing I think is an improvement is Jack being uh, ex CIA. Uh, you know, all these elements swirl together to create like they're superficial additions but they allow for the tension to start very early on before the urn gets shattered before you know 
Greg flushes the broken toilet. It's like right from the start, Jack finds out that his last name is Fokker and that he's a male nurse. And then you find out that Jack used to be in CIA. Um, and so it, 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 it eases you in very, very comfortably, I think, into what the kind of movie it is going to be. Um, and I also really like that Greg's name is Gaylord. I think, again, in a way that could very easily in the year 2000 be a cheap gay joke, it kind of doesn't feel like the joke is on... Like, it doesn't feel like the joke is homophobic. It feels like the characters mm. who think that's funny are homophobic. And, you you know, after all of this, because you, f- you find out his name is Gaylord after he's been banished from the family. Um, and so it's like the icing on the cake that he's also named Gay Fokker. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And because and there's also um, about the last name Fokker, there's like a famous behind the scenes story that the mm. MPAA wouldn't let them... Yeah. Um, use that name unless they could prove that someone existed in the United States with that last name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, which also came oh, into so, play, and presumably they did. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, there yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good to know. It's not entirely um uncommon, but it was a bigger deal with the sequel, of course, because that had to be in the title. So they did. The, yeah. They had to definitively <laughs> prove that Fokker was not an inappropriate word, so they could put it in the title. Wow. Um. So I think that the Meet the Parents franchise, at least for me, is a great example of the sum of the parts being better than the whole. Um, and this is especially true of the sequels. Uh, but even the first film, I think, loses some of its purity as more family members and characters turn up, like Owen Wilson, who plays Kevin, who's Pam's ex, um, and the setups get a bit more lavish. And I think the worst case scenario of meeting your girlfriend's pre- parents is such a great movie premise, but I think that... Uh, it'd be stronger if it focused more on the scariest father-in-law eyeing up the clumsiest son-in-law son-in-law but by (laughs) by the end it's uh sort of like the whole family hates him and and the extended family hate him and and i don't know part of me wants that to be saved for the sequel is the extended family hating you know like i i I want that purity of the 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 pure dynamic of the son-in-law and the parents in the first one almost i think i agree they or they try to have their cake and eat it too a bit in the sense that they have Blythe Danner have little arcs like she's not getting it enough in bed from Jack is clearly her thing that comes (laughs) up a few times (laughs) but uh, all the characters other than De Niro and Stiller are slightly underwritten Mm. so may as well do what you're doing and just go all in on it (laughs) and Ben Stiller is a is you know crappy batman and mm. or you know or a uh, sheepish joker and bobby d is batman that's gonna wreck your shit and ruin <laughs> your relationship i think i think and i think if they remade this franchise now they probably would go that way and the poster would just be them in profile angry at each other you know? <laughs> um but it's also trying to be uh, that Christmas movie that you take the whole family to. Mm. So I think there's some appeal to that idea of you all gather for the holidays and it's crazy. Your family is shenanigans. Mm. I think that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's appealing to the holiday profit corridor, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I read this on multiple outlets uh, and I don't have any more information. I couldn't find any more information, but apparently the role of Pam was initially given to Naomi Watts, uh, but she ultimately lost the role to Terry Polo because the filmmakers did not think she was sexy enough. Now, 
let's quickly acknowledge that that's a, that's a shitty thing to say to to someone. Yeah. Mm. Um, but also, the role of Pam needs to be sexy enough. <laughs> like that's that's yeah. what struck me there. And also, Naomi Watts wasn't sexy enough. <laughs> like these are such strange things that have been thrown out in that little piece of trivia. I couldn't find any more information on. Yeah. Um. There you go. Uh. Is Meet the Parents the last great airport hijinks movie pre nine eleven? This is this is my question because there this movie came out in two thousand, right? Uh, and uh, on the, there's a there's a very famous scene where he gets taken in by airport security because he's talking about a bomb in the sense that he doesn't have a bomb. Um, and mm. one of the main jokes I remember from this film is him saying, "I can say bomb all I want, bomb, 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 bomb." Um, I very much enjoyed that the last time I saw this movie. And I enjoyed it again. But uh, on uh, July 18th in 2005, uh, there was a flight to uh, Puerto Rico, which had to be diverted back to Fort Lauderdale uh, because the pilot, um, because the the flight attendant found a crumpled napkin that read bomb, 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 dot, 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 meet the parents. Um, And that was left on the plane. And so they had to (laughs) turn the plane back around. (laughs) Wait. Why was someone writing I that? I don't know, but it's... <laughs> they just wanted to remember... Maybe they had a podcast they were doing later and they wanted to remember that line. Well, I, I can't be blamed because I was much too young to be doing that sure. in 2000. <laughs> um, we have a segment on our show, Michael, called Dumb IMDb Trivia, uh, where we talk about uh, the IMDb trivia for various the various films we cover. Um, as sure. IMDb trivia is user-submitted, so often um, it's written with like an unnecessary authorial voice, or it's not trivia, or it's wrong. So we, we try to <laughs> compile these, and I've got some dumb IMDb trivia for the first Meet the Parents film here. Great. Uh, so this is the first piece of dumb IMDb trivia. This is the only film in the trilogy in which Pam's sister Deborah Burns appears on screen, though she is frequently mentioned in all of the films. Nicole DeHuff, the actress who played her, died in 2005. This explains her absence in Little Fockers, 2010, but not Meet the Fockers in 2004. <laughs> There's a conspiracy theory <laughs> angle to that that's like, okay, did did the producers of Meet the Fockers know she was going to die? Like. <laughs> Yeah, or maybe Little Fockers was in development for so long that they that she, and then they found out she they cut her role from it and um the the they killed her. Wow, wow. Yeah, now that she's dead, they just want us to know they also passed. <laughs> no. no, no, no. Before she died, we passed. No, no, no. Uh, Jack's knowledge of NATO standard phonetic alphabet, Foxtrot, Oscar, Charlie, Kilo, Echo, Romeo, a.k.a. Fokker, is all accurate, as it would be, since Robert De Niro is a stickler for detail. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the most basic like phonetic yeah. al- alphabet thing you can Also, like, I'm yeah, assuming but- <laughs> the screenwriter looked it up on, you know, yeah. accurately and transcribed it. Yeah. And was this, this would have been post-Bloodhound Gang. Foxtrot uniform Charlie Kilo, I think, as well. So yeah. I feel so like you only that, need to change one letter. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's a very uh, well documented fact, but no, it's because Robert De Niro is specifically a stickler for detail. <laughs> uh, and my final piece of dumb IMDb trivia for Meet the Parents: the premise of Meet the Parents is about truth and lies. The scene where Jack meets Greg for the first time, Jack says, "It's my way or the Long Island Expressway." This, of course, abbreviates to L-I-E and abbreviates is what's written on IMDb and it's it's claiming that the the premise of Meet the Parents is uh, like so 
It's about specifically the word <laughs> lie, the spelling of the word lie. Right. That the, Long Island Expressway. That is right, which has a W <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> so it's not lie, it's a lie. lie um, so yeah, that is the... And the, De Niro, so by saying my way, De Niro has set up mm, the duality of oh, his way truth, is truth. truth and lies. Unassailable truth. Well, because he's okay. a stickler for details. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that... So really the film is about the CIA as like the upstanding moral authority and central truth that protects us from the vagaries of the world all hailed the one world government how many how many jack burns types do you think saw this movie and was like i don't see what's wrong with this this is all mm. yeah this is fine well misappropriation of company equipment i would assume because jack <laughs> yeah, also true, yeah. I liked in the third one that they finally call him on it, that they're like, your access codes don't hold water anymore, sir. The CIA is not your closet (laughs) to raid. Cool. All right. Well, let's move forward to 2004, where we're going to talk about Meet the Fockers. Uh, This came out, um, uh, so yeah, 2004. Also directed by Jay Roach. Do y'all know what it has on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, Ooh, I'm going to guess it has diminishing returns, mm. even though I actually like this one just as oh. much. I think it's pretty good. So I'm going to guess 69. Nice. <laughs> Richard, you want to guess? I challenge you, Richard, to, to guess an even funnier number than that. You can't be done. A million. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess it's not going to be fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh. so sub 60. Yeah, it's thirty-eight percent, so nowhere near, wow. nowhere near as half. funny as as sixty-nine, Man. in my opinion. Um, and Michael, would you be able to tell us in a sentence or two what happens? What's this one about? <laughs> okay, googling. No, wait, I remember. <laughs> I, I have, I have a well, backup it, synopsis if you if you can't do it. <laughs> I, I watched them back to back to back, and they do kind of become a blur. Yeah. But actually, I'm recalling the beats, and it's linking up in my head of like what makes sense especially from the title meet the fockers is the one where they meet dustin hoffman and barbara streisand (laughs) so it's meet the other parents essentially which is a very sensible way for uh the thing to go and how could the blending of the two families go as horribly as possible well of course if jack is famously uptight we're going to find out that the fockers are completely wild uh, from his vantage, sex maniacs, mm. but we would call them just like in touch with their seniors who are still in touch with their sexuality. Mm. Barbara's a sex therapist and uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman, who's, I forget, I'm sorry, I forget the their names. Bernard and, but, Bernard and Roz. Yeah. That's right. So they essentially all spend the weekend together and get to know each other and work out their kinks and... Uh, <laughs> Bernie and Roz learn to like tone it down one notch and hey guess what Jack learns to be a little less uptight (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah that's great Uh, and it's also set in um, Florida as another Mm. Yes, Relevant. right at the Fokker yeah. ancestral estate yeah. or household. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, all right. So, what did you guys think of this movie, Michael? You said that you like it just as much. I do like it. It felt to me, or I guess, if you if look Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> if you're gonna stand here and you know if you if you don't love me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. Not to say <laughs> the Rotten Tomatoes should give all movies a blank check, but <laughs> I would argue if you're 
in for the premise and the execution of Meet the Parents, Meet the Fockers, is that again in the most sensible way. It's the same Mm. way the MCU handles things. You add two more heavy hitters, you know, Mm. you expand. If it were a Batman movie, it's like the next one has three villains instead of one. And in this franchise, that just means three comedy heavy hitters who each represent a bag of jokes and a bag of bits. And I have to say all the heavy hitters, they share screen time pretty equally. You get the same arc again Mm. between Greg and Jack, but you also get, uh, Dustin Hoffman doing his shtick, which I find legitimately amusing, Mm. and Barbara Streisand getting to do her thing, which I find legitimately amusing. I think it's actually pretty impressive that they were able to fill out that a roster within this universe and have it work. Mm. Now, I will say one of the trade-offs that seems similar, again, to what you get when you have a superhero film and you add more uh, more characters or more villains is it becomes diff- sort of diffuse and decentralized. Yeah. So the sheer acute pain of how uncomfortable this must be for Greg is sort of lost in the mix because we're not really riding with Greg a hundred percent of the time. Mm. It's more, we're more of a fly on the wall buzzing around just looking at it has already become a a sitcom. Mm. It felt a lot homier and it felt like we love Jack already because we've already seen him through the whole arc of the first movie. Mm. So they're all family now. Yeah. There's no threat that the relationship will actually fall apart. So the real question becomes, uh, what f- it, wait, what can you do, Dustin Hoffman? Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> and uh, he, yeah. and he does some funny yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. and I think they all do. <laughs> but it it doesn't feel cringy anymore. Mm. It just feels like a zany family, frankly. Dude, my my flatmate watched this movie with me. He used the exact same terminology. He said this one is just zany. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, yeah. used the word zany. Um, Richard, what did you think of Meet the Fockers? Um, so yeah, I put them on pretty equal footing as well. Um, but I think both of these films, I you know had said seen a, a while ago, I hadn't seen for a long time, and then coming back to them, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, these movies are awesome. And then by the end of them, I was kind of like, oh yeah, now now I've seen I've seen this. Um, <laughs> and and, and it, maybe it's a little bit of the cringe comedy evolving so much since then, and and kind of you know obviously. Um, a lot of those kind of Chekhov's guns you mentioned and, and things like that, when they're so obviously set up and you yeah. know where they're going, they're, there's you know there's not as much of the payoff. But also with b- both films have their flaws as well, and they're in kind of different places. I found that Meet the Fockers, it feels like they were writing this by hand, and they realized <laughs> that they got to the end of like the book they were writing in, like fuck, we have five pages left, um, and then just and then just wrapped the film up really quickly because it kind of it comes to a climax, and rather than resolving it, really, it just cuts to the wedding, and everything's fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it feels like there's a there's well, a and they even it. lean on the bit of uh, apologies, but they lean on the bit of Owen Wilson as he's officiating is still keeping alive the bit to a degree mm. that you're like, it seems like this is still going to be a problem in the yeah. future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think um, 
this uh, we've watched quite a few um same movie but in a different location sequels on our podcast um sure. and if this counts as that i dare say this is one of the most effective ones yeah um i think it's it's genius to character characterize greek's parents as these super liberal sex positive loose people um it's such an obvious way to uh milk more out of de niro's character i did not mean that to be a pun until I, <laughs> until I read it back and then was like, oh, whatever, I'll leave it in there. Um, Dustin Hoffman and Barbara Streisand are, I think, easily the strongest part of the film, if only because I've seen Robert De Niro do this already. Um, and the interplay between the two of them and De Niro, I think, justifies the sequel's existence. Yeah, it, it's very like, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where if this was a huge franchise and you know, every, every four or five years they they'd make another one and it's like, oh, what two, like, too good for this mm. franchise people are they going to cast in this? And then in the third one, I guess you could say it's Laura Dern and Harvey Keitel. Um, yeah. Just because getting, Alba. like, serious actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, yeah, there, there's a fun thing of, like, just, just building this, like, quite impressive cast. Mm. Um, and it's the same kind of thing that they did with, like, the Bad Moms and Daddy's Home movies. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, just, like, bring in, like, these yeah quite respected actors to to do these Mm. these kind of dumb movies yeah i also think that uh adding little jack who is um the burns's uh nephew um is is great fodder for stiller to continue being a dumbass without a baby in this movie ben stiller's got very little to do um and you know of course he glues alcohol to to the baby's hands by accident (laughs) of course and and teaches him to say ass Ooh, which is like the one thing I remembered from this movie. Kid does a pretty solid asshole. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Comedic asshole. Well, it's also, it's twofold. A baby always raises the stakes. Mm. Uh, they didn't, did they add a gun? No, I don't think there's any gunplay in the no. second one. <laughs> no. So the uh, baby's the other way to raise the stakes. And of course, <laughs> uh, we're introducing the new generation of Fockers, which will come into play in the yeah. future. You know, exactly. you got to lay the pipe. Exactly. Um, they... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how babies are made. That's, I guess that's how you get them. They're also worth mentioning um, is that there's a plot line in this where uh, – De Niro believes that, oh, well, Jack believes that Greg um, already sired a, a son in uh, Ray Santiago's, um, what's his name, Jorge, something like that. Yeah, right. Because there, there's a whole thing about how how Greg lost his virginity to their um, Spanish housemaid, and there's a 15 year old Spanish boy who looks remarkably like Ben Stiller, <laughs> yeah. moving yeah. around. Um, I, I, think- I, I like growing up. I always thought that was him in brownface. <laughs> Well, oh, thank, thank God it wasn't. Thankfully not. <laughs> but there's, yeah, every uh, every episode of the series, so to speak, has one core misunderstanding between Jack and Greg that could be easily resolved if they just like talked it out in the oh, right yeah. way, but they don't. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's probably my favorite one. I think. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's the one of the strongest parts of the movie. Is yeah, is that, that part. Yeah, I think. Unfortunately, in my opinion, I think it's it is a little bit derivative. I think of the first one especially i think it's a lot more outlandish as well um jack uh drugs greg with truth serum um at one point because he thinks he's lying to him and then jack uh greg of course makes a fool of himself in front of a bunch of people and it feels a little less relatable and also a little less realistic like the champagne in 
thing from the first one is like all these things are relatively we've all done it <laughs> no no but they're all they're all inconsequential circumstances that we've all done right but in this one like you have the rv that has a command center within yeah, it yeah. they've definitely <laughs> they yeah. escalated the cia tropes yeah. one level of zaniness yeah. for sure yeah and uh, that's what that rotten tomato score is all about is how derivative it is <laughs> it, which it is yeah. it's it's an exercise in a sequel that didn't strictly need to exist but mm. i would just argue that if you took out the fact that it's derivative of the first one it's just as good as the first one which That's is a, a weird thing to say mm. i i argue that about the hangover yeah 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 sure yeah um i i also think that uh it's as, it is bizarre that someone as stringent as jack would bring his prized pet cat with him on a weekend on the other side of the country um and this is clearly just a setup for the scene where jinx the cat flushes the fockers chihuahua moses down the toilet <laughs> like it's like they want that scene but it's like oh why would we bring a cat to florida i, well, I, I, right. no, I, I would say of course he'd bring the cat really doesn't I, I, trust I, anyone else to watch it man. yeah if the so. cat wasn't in this film i would have been like where's the cat <laughs> all right <laughs> fair enough i would think that he would have a series of sensors and cameras mm. and at any time he could like check in on jinxie yeah, via yeah, yeah. satellite phone mm. or whatever yeah. I think, though, the worst thing about this film is that uh, Jack is so clearly in the wrong, way more than he was in Meet the Parents, where it was like, well, you know, uh, Greg did lie about saving Jinxie and, and that sort of thing. Um, mm. And and this... Hey, well, he painted his tail. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's one of the <laughs> fam- my favorite yeah. ends of, uh, yeah. Yeah. Much, much cleaner than you made our daughter hang herself yeah, is yeah. <laughs> um, i'll tell you who, what else does uh it reminds me a lot of king of the hill because king mm-hmm. of the hill is a show that i didn't appreciate as enough as a kid oh, so but totally, now as an yeah. adult i love so much and mm. one of their main sources of humor is a character literally just saying the premise of the episode like look you can dance with your dog in the bedroom bobby will dance with his dog in the garage everyone gets to dance with a dog and i love <laughs> how many lines in this series they give robert de niro where robert de niro the 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 meticulous way he speaks as scripted is brilliant is honestly brilliant where he's like but gregory you have painted the tip of the tail of my cat <laughs> like, the precise way he talks is yeah. just uh a well that I can go back to yeah. indefinitely. Well, th- this this movie, uh, Meet the Fockers, made me realize how good of an actor Robert De Niro is. Like, I already knew, I guess. Really like, commits to it. He's right. great. So I always assume when I'm watching a relatively late stage Robert De Niro film, especially like I've started doing comedies era Robert De Niro, right. I, I always assume he's going to have the same lack of passion that a lot of other once great actors Yeah, like have. Morgan Freeman. Bruce Willis. Freeman, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Um, But... I feel like De Niro respects the script no matter what he's in and he buys in a hundred percent whether it's the Irishman or Meet the Fockers, you know? Like like he is absolutely. so he's so in he's the film. an actor's actor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's really impressive. Um and this is our second franchise uh, in which Robert De Niro either plays or says someone looks like a young Marlon Brando because uh, we've done <laughs> the Godfather trilogy very recently. And uh, yeah, when when I think uh, Greg is compared to Marlon Brando at one point and then when um, Jack f- sees this, this young kid that looks like uh, Ben Stiller, he also says he looks like a, a young Marlon Brando. 
Uh, cool. So we've got some dumb IMDb trivia for Meet the Fockers. Um, here it comes. When the first fi- when the first film and the sequ- the sorry, this is re- written really poorly um, because of because it's IMDb trivia. That's uh, the fun of it. <laughs> when the first film and the sequel, while hugely successful, failed to raise Terry Polo's profile as an actress, she posed for Playboy the following year. And I just feel like to we, Google, we we given this <laughs> this franchise did not serve its female stars. That's I gotta true. say that's true. Yeah. But I feel like this is not necessarily this is like a, a correlation, not causation thing. Where it's like sure. Terry Polo maybe did Playboy. I don't think it's fair to be like oh because Meet the Parents failed to to skyrocket. <laughs> uh, and um, I've also got here. Little- but you do feel sorry for her when like that you've got like a core cast of six people and it's Robert De Niro, Blythe Danner, mm. Dustin Hoffman, Barbara Streisand, Ben Stiller, and Terry Polo. Meet the Parents <laughs> is Terry Polo. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's here's a really fun one. Get ready for this. Uh, little Jack says asshole nine times. The most said from a minor in a DreamWorks film. <laughs> DreamWorks specific. I, I would assume any film, probably. I want to see DreamWorks beat that record. <laughs> uh, Shrek 5, come on. <laughs> uh, and lastly, uh, Roz Fokker, Barbara Streisand, gives Jack Robert De Niro a massage where he lies shirtless on a massage table and she rubs his back and then runs her hands down under his belly after doing that a few times she says oops hit some driftwood in parentheses an erection joke uh, coincidence <laughs> is Barbara Streisand acted in Maurice D. Tedun's play Driftwood in New York in, in 1959 it's all connected <laughs> Driftwood is a clear oh reference my- <laughs> God! Wow. I assumed that one, just from the way it was written, was going to end with, I have to stop writing now. My hands are busy doing other things. (laughs) Someone's really into that scene. I have to go now. My penis needs me. (laughs) All righty. Moving forward to 2010, we had Little Fockers. Uh, This was directed by Paul Weitz, and this is our third Paul Weitz franchise after American Pie and The Nutty Professor and we actually interviewed uh, his brother about a, a couple of years ago Chris White's um oh cool yeah and uh we we never met Paul though so I don't feel bad well, we uh, dunking on never met Chris either <laughs> yeah, that's true but I don't feel as bad dunking on uh little fuckers because I haven't talked to the director in person whereas <laughs> I have talked to his brother uh, because this has uh what's the, what do you think this has on Ron Tomatoes 10 Oh, okay. The number 16 floated up from the abyss of my mind. So 16. This has 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> okay. It's such a low number. Uh, what is this movie about? Do you want me to take this one since you guys have each taken taken one? Yeah, God. Sure, but at first I just want to say I do think there's dimi- there's diminishing returns from critics when a franchise that is broad and family friendly makes too much money, right. I I I would argue that these these scores are too low for mm. the numbers two and three, but they're just bitter. Yeah. They're just bitter that something that's fine to good is making all the money in the world. But go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> so five years after the events of Meet the Fockers, uh, Gaylord Greg Fokker is preparing to celebrate his twins Samantha and Henry's fifth birthday. Uh, things seem to go. Awry when Greg's father-in-law Jack Burns visits. That's what um, 
I think I just googled Little Fockers synopsis, and I want to challenge that because I don't. Are they five in this? Are the twins five? They seem yeah, a bit it's old. Their fifth birthday. This it is. They seem very old for for five. <laughs> um, this is a very hard film to summarize in terms of talking what it's about because uh, when there's a few plot lines. yeah, there, there's no. It's not as neat as what you know. What's meet the parents about? It's in the title. What's meet the Fockers about? Or if you know what the series is, it's in the title. What's Little Fockers about? Uh, it's a com- it's complicated. Um, so <laughs> when when the film was announced, writer John Hamburg stated that the film would deal with themes of death and divorce and all these real things that as we go get older we start to think about but in a really comical way so that's how the writer describes what the movie is about which sounds like it's once again about nothing as well <laughs> yeah because also yeah. like um i believe wasn't dustin hoffman supposed to be killed off originally so maybe there mm. would have been more of that dealing with death because they don't right. really deal with death in the yeah film. no he, he he was killed he was going to be killed off because dustin hoffman is one of those actors who's like no you have to pay me this amount for me to be in this movie um and then he eventually agreed I, that, to that's it. all actors really i mean they, they, they <laughs> all have true. salaries yeah that's true um but I th- but uh, yeah i was surprised they get him in like a scene and a half yeah mm. and i think i think he wrote a lot of the scenes he was in as well Mm. Um, because that's yeah. or just improvise yeah. <laughs> i want to do flamenco fly me to spain that's my price yeah. yeah um i think this one is immediately worse than the the previous two i think yeah that- I, i'm i'm sorry i'm just interested because I, I like you know saw the first two when they came out and this one was like they made another one of those and i didn't even contemplate yeah, seeing it yeah, um, yeah. but and michael had you seen this one before no and i had seen the other two mm-hmm. in their theatrical run so it's same deal yeah, yeah. i assumed and i think that's it's all about the uh the feeling you go in with yeah. right if i had paid money to see this in theaters i would talk about at length about how my money was, was squandered on this <laughs> movie and all of its flaws which i'm happy to elucidate but i think since i saw it so that I could have fun talking to you guys on this podcast and I didn't spend money on it and I hadn't seen it before and I just watched it at home and I and it and I assumed it had a 16 on Rotten Tomatoes or worse a nine and I assumed it was Drek. I I'm actually coming from a place where I'm like, oh, that wasn't as bad yeah. as I really? thought it would be. Wow. Okay. Um, and yet I'm still noting, I mean, it was bad though. There's all <laughs> these reasons it was bad. Not the least of which is that, uh, the moment where the uh because like at this point like you said it's more just about the universe of meet the parents is established i guess mm. and these are just our characters and just yeah, stuff yeah. is going to happen to them and it's uh the classic beat where jack and greg are friends they're super tight actually but something's going to threaten it i actually thought they played the the uh the all is lost moment where the friendship is almost sacrificed so dark and hard mm. that it's weird that they could make up again. Like Jack right. really is like, I never cared about you. I called Bob the Bob fucker or whatever, yeah. the Bob father. Yeah. And uh, it's all shit. And I actually think that you're a scumbag. And like, <laughs> it's really weirdly, it's, uh, it's interesting that quote you read because it is tonally, it almost circled back to the 1992 version where mm. it's almost too grim and dark and edgy because they right, escalated yeah. their way to edgy and they forgot that this movie's about being having heart. Like, does mm. I mean, 
it has the thing where he, the third one is right. The one where uh, the kid draws the drawing and they're like, I saw daddy sticking a needle in grandpa's penis. That's hardcore. That's like a Mr. Show sketch. And that yeah, doesn't yeah. feel like meet the parents to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I see what you mean. It is funny though. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, 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 cause I'd forgotten about it, the Bob, fo- uh, the Bob father and the, but the, the, the whole <laughs> thing about that, it's like, and, and, I, and once I saw in the movie, I remembered it from the trailer that it's like, uh, you, you know, I'm, it, it is him dealing with, you know, reaching the end of his life. Um, and, his his legacy it's very the irishman in that way that it's <laughs> robert de niro reflecting on the legacy he's leaving behind but um the and then he calls greg and says like i need you to be the godfucker and it's such a like someone in oh. 2007 or 8 woke up in the middle of the night and was like godfucker and then and then <laughs> and wrote the whole movie based around that joke <laughs> Yeah. No, I think I agree. I actually um I think <laughs> I think that this this feels like this movie feels like it was two or three spec scripts for the coveted third Beat the Parents films that yeah. got crashed together with no rhyme or reason. And I think the titles uh, you know, lend credence to that because Little Fockers as a title, that feels like it should be about Greg dealing with his twins, one of whom is gifted and one of whom isn't. I that's, do, I do like, I will say though, that um, the phrase Little Fockers is used in the first film. Right, that that that, that um Jack says, oh, you know, you get a couple of little fuckers running around, and then blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it. I thought from the title, especially given how informative the previous titles have been, I agree yeah, that yeah. it was going to be <laughs> meet the parents, the next generation. Like yeah. I thought this would introduce the kids. So we've introduced the parents on both sides as viable characters. What if the kids are actually full fledged characters? Mm. What if the camera pans down to the kids table and we learn about the little fuckers who are going to destined to carry this through, carry us through the next nine movies in this (laughs) franchise. It's it's like Ben Stiller's face CGI'd on a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And it, uh, he lost his virginity to a giant baby. We find out and that's why it came out this way. Um, but yeah, it's instead it is just, I mean, Blythe Danner, it, her arc is the same again as it was in the second mm. one. It's just trying to spice up the marriage with Jack again. It's weird. It feels like uh, it got diehearted. I agree. Spec yeah, scripts yeah. mashed together into a thing and they're yeah. like, yeah, one more for the road. Why not? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. presumably there was another script titled the godfucker right like that feels like the title of the film and that that (laughs) film is about jack putting pressure on greg to to step up and take over the burns legacy and the previous films in the series are so concise with their log line um that for a movie called little fockers it's not a like the kids are barely yeah like like the kind of main mm. driving force behind it is this is the extramarital thing with andy Mm. garcia that's not they have some fun with this, but that's not the actor Andy Garcia. Uh, that's just Alba playing A N D I Andy Garcia, right? Yeah, who is a what? What role? What's her job? Uh, she's like a pharmaceutical she's, rep. Yeah, and she's got a um, inexplicably has a crush on Ben Stiller. Her job to is him. to seduce Ben Stiller at all oh, costs. She one, is one of the yeah, the many one of the many many several. Of the the like thankless roles that Jessica Alba landed in this time. Yeah, period, right? she's just a like temptress. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck, <laughs> Chucks, Jessica Alba. Yeah, it's so sad. I feel like I hope Jessica Alba has like a an Al, Al, Alban Albanaissance. 
You know, I feel like... It's like like someone uh, just kindly directed me to an interview because I was curious about this where Sam Rockwell said like... No, no, no! I'm sick of have. I'm sick of saying the N word in every role I get. I don't. I'm gonna stop doing it. It's, it's getting old. Yeah. No, I get that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, feel, I feel that too. <laughs> I, I feel oh, that yeah, too, every, every too, role, oh, yeah. every podcast. Jesus. <laughs> um, I think I think that, that something this movie unintentionally does, but it does it effectively, um, is it's a little bit sad to see Jack at this point in his life where like after all this he's still able to like lose trust completely in mm. greg um like that's greg comes it off- that's it that he could go all the way to a full yeah, yeah. reset where he doesn't yeah. value greg at all anymore mm. you're like what did we come so far for and he's completely <laughs> forgotten how to not be uptight it implies a little bit of like dementia you know like that's oh, it has man. that energy to it that it's like jack is like regressing to his you know emotional the parents states. era per yeah. self yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. they just want he's just wandering around the halls at night trying to milk himself <laughs> people are worried about him um yeah no because because greg comes off as so much more mature and level-headed right in this film you know he he winds up um accidentally having uh jessica album alba kiss him but it's very much not really his fault it's just sort of mm. mis- and, and they are spending the night together in yeah. a ditch with her yeah, yeah undressed yeah. lying on top of him but it's not what it yeah. looks like yeah but but jack is just an elderly man who's losing his mind in this film and it, it's mm. depressing it's it's depressing to think that greg still needs to win his trust back and it's it feels less like he should do that and more like he should sit his kids down and be like now kids you know that grandpa jack is pretty old now and he has some pretty funny ideas and he'll say some pretty silly things you just need to remember that it's because he's old you know they should have revealed he only ever was really a florist and all the CIA <laughs> stuff is just stuff he bought at sharper image in this <laughs> fake life he's built in his head yeah like instead of the your security clearance has um has expired it's like how did you get this number you've never worked for the cia who are you sir <laughs> do you need help can someone pick you up and, but he's 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 still replying like everyone else in the room hears him replying as if he was on the phone to an operative <laughs> yeah. but then, then you hear the other side of the call and it's like we're gonna call the ambulance for you okay um <laughs> sorry I, hold on i have to go write some idea imdb trivia real quick <laughs> it's all coming together uh once again uh logic is defied and i'll be interested to see what you think of this this occasion uh richard because uh jinxie is once again brought just into the 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 very open space that is the kids birthday party along with the fockers pet lizard and they just assume they put on the ground and they roam <laughs> free a lizard a lizard roams free in like yeah. a paddock well, to, like, to be yeah, fair that's the, the fucking dumbass little kid um so yeah, that's like true. yeah that, they would do that but yeah J- jinxie i mean but would you give your dumbass little kid his pet lizard at his birthday party well if i was a dumbass fucker, on a bouncy castle <laughs> um yeah I, I, there's also yeah the the thing with jinxie it's like i i believe that jack takes it everywhere you know right yeah right also how old is jinxie at this point do we reckon that was my first question. But you'd also think based on the harness, the boob harness from the second one, mm. that he would have some kind of cat backpack or yeah. some contraption. He seems like the type that would have a, yeah. a cat swaddled yeah, to his chest or something. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the the one thing I really liked about this movie um, is the, the climax of the film where, so essentially Jack 
catches like sees Jessica Alba pushing herself onto Greg and presumes that Greg's cheating. Um, and so the end of the film, um, Greg goes to like offer Jack a piece of cake as like a peace offering because they've had a fight, and uh, Jack punches him in the face and they have a a fist fight. And I thought this was such an obvious and great place to take these characters. Too late in the franchise to take them there. This almost feels like it's a beat missing from the first film. You know, like, uh, surely yeah. the, the ultimate worst-case scenario comedy should probably peak with the son-in-law crossing that sacred boundary of punching the father-in-law. I don't know. The, right. But, and if you yeah. get to injecting the father-in-law's penis, you've gone too far. <laughs> this fight is enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I, it kind of works for me as like a end of the third film three Mm, films of like culminating together you know if 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 they had ended in a fist fight at the end of the first film i would have thought that would be too soon in their relationship and you know you'd be dating for someone for less than a year um and then they get into a fist fight with your dad like that's gonna fuck up your relationship a bit but if you've got kids you've got three movies worth of showing what an asshole your dad is then mm. you know it's it's somewhat believable i think did you guys like it that they had a fist fight i did yeah i, I did i like the idea that yeah. they would have a fist fight but i feel that it did come late i wish it right. had come earlier only mm. because of the other aspect where i actually found myself happy that jack and greg were friends and then it mm. felt like yeah. that was stolen from me just for the sake of the third movie having something to do where yeah. I was like, don't negate that they like each other. They, they like each other or that's, that was the reality. I was ready to, I'm like, we already established this in two movies. Mm. They're friends now. Mm. Don't make that the movie. I, I, do I find something else. <laughs> see, I, I almost feel like though, that they, they get into a fist fight because of that friendship. It's like, and be, because right. they're so close at the start of the film or, you know, you know like relatively anyway, that the, the perceived like cheating that he's doing is is such a more betrayal to that Jack. is something that could break up the relationship and, 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 sure. and also like and, and and i feel like you'd almost be more likely to get into a fight like that with your friend than like someone you actually right. genuinely hate and and so i think there's something there but i like and so mm. when, when when jack lands that first punch i was like oh fuck yeah like this is this is where you take this relationship. And then, yeah, yeah. Michael, I don't know if you've seen the movie Fist Fight with Charlie Day and I was Ice, this and Ice Cube. No, no, um, I haven't. It's, a, it's not a very good movie, but it's. Two so- out of 10 movie for the first, like, yeah. three quarters. That's our fight club. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it so delivers on its premise of, like, Here's two grown men who are going to have a fight by the end of this movie. And, mm. and the third act, when they actually have the fight, is hilarious it's inc- it's incredible and <laughs> one I- of the best scenes of 2016 or whatever the <laughs> yeah movie came out. um yeah because because adriana went to see it together and it was like a very late night screening only you know movie on at the time and we were kind of like oh you get through it but then by the end of it we're like cheering and i was hoping yeah. something that was that well thought out and stage oh the charlie day one no i haven't watched yeah. that yet okay yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, just just watch the fist fight and know that it's been building up to this. And it's it's, yeah. it's a great scene. It's a truly great scene. I'll give scene. it a watch. And I desperately wish it were in a bit of movie. Yeah, but that <laughs> yeah, almost I, kind of I, makes it good that it's like, there's this really good scene and just such yeah. a boring movie. Yeah. Yeah, um, and yeah, I definitely got uh, fist fight flashbacks watching mm. watching the the fight scene mm-hmm. in Little Fockers. Um, and also, I do want to point out when when Robert De Niro his acting when he sees what he thinks is 
Greg cheating. It's really mm. good. It's really hard. And he's got his little old man cap on. Yeah, and it's it is the look of someone whose friend has betrayed them as well. Yeah. Which, what you were saying, Richard, like adds adds to it quite well. Um, and then it, it, this is sort of resolved because um, I like the double beat that uh, Greg catches the cat who's eating the lizard while he's like helping Jack, who's like having a yeah, heart yeah, attack. Yeah. Um, mm. And so he he proves to Jack that he can be the godfucker. He can take care of his mm. family. You know, it's it's a very heroic thing. And then also, it's real funny that the reason Jack believes um, Greg didn't cheat is because he doesn't his 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 like what is it like the vein on his neck wasn't convulsing. Yeah, he, he's cheeked his pulse. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but in a headlock. <laughs> yeah. Um, so very very fun stuff. Um. All right. Uh, apparently, during his Lifetime Achievement Award speech at the Golden Globes, Robert De Niro stated, I was very, very moved and gratified when you made the announcement uh, of this award two months ago, well before any of you had the chance to review Little Fockers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's not apparently. I've seen the speech and it's very funny. That really? That. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that's great. <laughs> Uh, some dumb IMDb trivia for little fuckers. This is maybe one of my favorite pieces of dumb IMDb trivia I've ever read. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll break it down together. Uh, this is how it goes. Uh, the first collaboration with Robert De Niro and Jessica Alba, Alba for the first time since Machete 2010. Now, <laughs> let's break this down. One, a collaboration between Robert De Niro and Jessica Alba is apparently something that's of note. That's, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. Two, uh, they say first twice, the first collaboration for the first time. And second, <laughs> Machete also came out in 2010. <laughs> they came out in the same year, and it's like the first collaboration since something since that happened Since a couple of months ago. Year. Yeah. <laughs> so really enjoy that one. Um, we, need a, we need a classic energy pairing, you know, like an, like an Alba De Niro sort of picture. <laughs> Uh, and when when Jack Googles Andy Garcia for the first time, he comes across the actor of the same name. That's a piece that's of trivia. That's trivia. Yeah, that, it's <laughs> just... not, not, not explicitly that's in the, the text joke. of the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a piece of trivia. Yeah. So do you guys have any more thoughts on Little Fockers before we move on to discussing the franchise as a whole? Um, let's check it out. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's just that I'm 35. Maybe it's the catchiness of the word sustango. But <laughs> this movie marks the first time I was like, maybe I will try one of those dick pills recreationally. Mm. I, 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 did, I did find about out it. recently that, and I might have actually said this on the podcast before, but apparently Viagra doesn't give you a boner. It's like you have to get one yourself but the, it'll just helps you oh, maintain forget it. Forget it, then. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. I gotta get my own boners like a peasant. <laughs> That's the worst part. <laughs> Keeping it's fine. I can do that. It's the getting. <laughs> All right. We talk about titles a lot on this podcast, Michael, so much that we made a segment called We Talk mm. About Titles a Lot on this podcast. <laughs> uh, and um, I want to talk about the Meet the Parents titles because there's a very clear outlier, um, which anyone who's listened to this and knows how much of a stickler I am for consistency in titles will know it's probably coming up. But first, I want to say Meet the Parents, perfect title. Because it's a ubiquitous, yep. generic term, of course you call the film that, right? Meet the Fockers, of of course. What a great title for the sequel. Um, and I feel like they were so close to calling the third film Meet the Little Fockers, but because no one actually meets mm 
mm. them for the right. first time in the film, except except us, the yeah. audience, um, which I I think that would have counted. You know, I I would have taken that. Yeah. I and I think if they had doubled down on the gifted school storyline, it would truly be like we are meeting who the little fuckers. Mm-hmm. Mm. Ah. It was called Meet the Parents Little Fockers yeah. in the UK and Southeast Asia. Yeah. Um, and I guess the current title is supposed to make you think of little fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> but is that a term? It like I know I like Martha Fucker, Motherfucker. Like if it was called Motherfuckers, it's yeah, almost I get it. a term. It's little like, fuckers. Uh, yeah. You know, look at that trail of ants, they're little fuckers. But yeah. it's a very rare it's not often i hear people yeah. say that it's not very american either no. calling something a little fucker that feels L- very kiwi little fucker. yeah <laughs> that, that feels like oh, you little fucker um, you little fucker uh i could i could i could think you could um you could save the sort of ocd mindset i have around titles here by instead looking at it as each film each sequel takes or expands on a phrase from the previous title. That's so, what that's what yeah. I'm thinking. The pattern is, yeah. Meet the parents, meet the fuckers, little fuckers. So they're they're still it's still there. But I would have preferred little parents is the next one. <laughs> I would have preferred uh, meet the little fuckers personally. And as I said, I also think the God Fokker was probably in serious contention for the title. And probably mm-hmm. considering what happens in the film is probably a better title. Mm. I think for the movie. Yeah. All right, now we've got uh, one of our final segments of the show. This is Continue the Franchise, where we all pitch a sequel or a franchise continuation. Um, And while there don't seem to be any rumblings of a fourth Fokker movie, uh, it is of note that two short-lived TV shows, a 2002 sitcom called In-Laws and a 2007 reality show called Meet My Folks, uh, were both said to be inspired by Meet the Parents. Um, There was almost legal trouble with, I think, In-Laws, because they were different companies, but then it was like Universal bought out DreamWorks or something like that. So right. it would have been, it would have been grounds for a lawsuit had the company not been absorbed by the other. Um, and I also want to give a shout out to the film Dinner for Schmucks, which is a Jay Roach film from oh, yeah. 2010, and that very much feels like the spiritual successor to Meet the Parents. That's mm. that's like super cringy. It's got Paul Rudd and Steve Carell in it. Yeah, I just watched like, that for the first time recently. Actually, oh yeah, yeah. Is it still? It was very cringy when oh, I saw very, it in 2011. Yeah, it's very cringy. <laughs> it's just about. Uh, single folks instead of a family the family unit is not the central unit of the thing it's a friendship unit instead but it's otherwise the same deal yeah the (laughs) first trailer for little fockers actually debuted in front of dinner for schmuck there you go fun fact it was the year of jay roach (laughs) (laughs) uh richard what's your continue the franchise okay well um this might help get our creative juices juices flying because i need uh both of your help to come up with a title for this but this is what i have so um, fun fact, next year, Ben Stiller will be the same age that Robert De Niro is in the first Meet the Parents mm. film. Um, and so what I'm pitching is a film where, um, and, and you know, let's age them up in real time. So the kids would only be 16 now. Um, mm-hmm. And it's about um, the the daughter his daughter um has started you know maybe she started smoking and she's started to, well you know she doesn't talk to him for most of little fuckers but you know she's becoming a bit more rebel because she's got this new boyfriend who um 
you know, he Ben Stiller hasn't met him yet, but he doesn't approve of, of the direction it's going. And so um, he says, oh, you know, why don't you bring him over for dinner one night? And he's like, he really wants to intimidate this kid. So he calls up his father-in-law, Jack, and says, hey, you made me feel like fucking shit the first time we met. I want you to help me do this to this 16-year-old kid. Um, oh, and this is such a good idea, Rich. <laughs> this is obviously what Little Fockers should have Passing been. Passing the torch, yeah. This um, is obviously what the third film should have been. And so, um, but but the thing is that this this little kid would, or this 16-year-old kid who, um, would be oblivious, like, you know, impervious to all of their techniques. So now right. we're putting the power in the hands of a 16-year-old kid. And so Jack and Greg, try as they may, cannot force uh this couple apart and obviously it would end with like a blockers kind of message that like yeah like kids should be free to to do these kind of things mm. yeah you're in and hopefulness about the new generation mm. yeah knowing can sort their own shit out uh you're at a disadvantage because i think the third one should be called the Godfather, and this one mm. should be called little fuckers mm. the one you're describing for yeah. sure yeah yeah i couldn't think of a, a t- <laughs> i was like yeah meet the because because but i was trying to think of what's the the first title from the perspective of jack because it's like if if he's meeting the parents it's like circle of trust yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like it would just be called meeting your son-in-law meet the boyfriend yeah i, I did think meet the boyfriend or yeah mm. yeah yeah no totally but yes yeah, so that's mm, my I, idea. like you almost you almost just call it meet the parents and it's a it's the it's the god of war situation yeah. where you just call it the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's technically a sequel or Halloween 2018, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, call yeah, call know, it yeah, God me- of War. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's great. I love that idea. That's awesome. Yeah, th- th- this is this is one of those ones. This is maybe the third or fourth time it's happened that I'm like, damn, I actually really want this to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's such a good idea. And I, I like, and like you could get, like there are enough famous comedic talents who could play the boyfriend at that age as well pete davidson <laughs> he's probably a bit too old but why well, <laughs> e- be even cool. better he's dating 16 year old girl it's <laughs> pete davidson <laughs> um michael what is your continue the franchise my continue the franchise is called situation normal all fuckered up and <laughs> it would involve the fact that jack now beyond like aging to the point where his legacy is no longer his concern his concern is simple mobility and survival right he's he can't be as Mm. big of a force in the franchise he has passed that on to greg we see in act one greg thriving as what they call the greg fokker uh now which means he is the new jack right he keeps order jack approves of his methods uh they still like rib each other but in the end they're the core of the family and they're keeping the family going um Mm. forget about the kids the kids are still just a set piece because i think if they were gonna do meet the parents of the next generation they would have done it for the third one they're not going to so we're still gonna (laughs) we're still milking the ben stiller robert de niro thing so how do we milk that further the entire rest of the family gets kidnapped because (laughs) bernie and roz take the extended family including the kids including little jack including jinxie somehow on vacation and they all get hostiled by some maniacs so (laughs) 
Jack has to teach Greg through an earpiece oh, how to go so take in all these Eastern European monsters <laughs> and get the family back. That's so great because it's also an idea that would only work in a sequel because it's like the situation's so much more ridiculous. The and like you're mm. you're you're inviting a whole new way for Jack to be ashamed of Greg. Like because now he's <laughs> it's not you know it's not just that he's fucking up regular family life things. Now he's fucking up being a cia operative (laughs) yeah and i think it's key that you do the grounded version of cia operative meaning jack is not telling ben stiller how to be in a spandex suit and rappel down the ceiling he's telling him like go up to this guy now you got to be tough with him you got to tell him you're going to kick his ass if he doesn't tell you where this hotel is and it's ben stiller muddling his way through trying to do that or trying to seduce someone i think there's some ground there now they shouldn't do this and they won't do this, but that's my pitch. <laughs> that, you've both created ideas that feel so obviously what the next step in the story should have been. Um, and my ver- my continue the franchise is nowhere near as good <laughs> as that. So well, well, let's hear it. All right. Um, I want to find uh, uh, Greg Glennian. What's his, I forgot his fucking name. Glenna. Glenna. I want to find his original script for Meet the Parents, and I want to adapt that into a stage play uh, because I feel like it has that vibe. Mm. It has the, you know, the stage would be the family home and you get different, you know, there's the room with the urn in it and there's the lounge and you have the different actors at different, po- like blocked at different points on the stage talking about each other you know interacting together and because i think it's so lo-fi it it did strike me as like a a, it could be a stage play i guess um i would Mm. be one that no one would go see and one that um it would be quite i think quietly fade away but it it had that vibe and so that's my continue the franchise so you would continue this billion dollar franchise (laughs) with a stage play adaptation this is why they don't give you giant franchises you're right you're totally right um my my other idea was to just remake it and you know work out what are the generational gaps between the parent and the the younger person these days and exploit that i'd love to mm. see one that tried to actually reintroduce uh because cringe is certainly still big Mm. i just think that kids today find different things cringe yeah so like i would (laughs) uh love a meet the parents reboot that tried to capture like what Mm. is truly cringe like like you go meet your girlfriend's dad and he's like how, how how's it going, Deb? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, parents trying to deploy memes, I think, mm. would be a large part of it. Well, yeah. there, there uh, is yeah. there is the obvious one where it's like the the dynamic is flipped, where you do meet the parents, but it's the the dad is trying to impress the son, but I guess the stakes aren't quite. <laughs> and quite the son's quite. just a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> the son's like, I'm going to be a CIA operative, <laughs> <laughs> and what? the dad. It's just this sweet old man. <laughs> like, what about like a um a who owns Meet the Parents at the moment? What what company? Are, do they have a streaming service? I want to green light a um Jack Burns prequel series of Jack Burns in the CIA days and it, on Paramount Plus. Yeah, yeah, and it's um very much like in the style of um Pennyworth that Alfred show with without Batman, <laughs> and it's like what makes it Batman then? It was just a British guy doing 
secret yeah, missions. Yeah, yeah. It's like what makes this meet the parents beyond the character's name. Well, they they throw in all these different like references. Like he would love cats, mm. and there'd be like season three, there'd be a reference to milking one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. everyone would have nipples. <laughs> everyone in the show, <laughs> exception. Sweet. All right. Well, the last thing we've got to do for Meet the Parents is rank it with all the other franchises we've watched. This is arguably our 123rd franchise. Um, so th- we don't usually have a guest here for this part. So I apologize if this uh, is no bearing you do whatsoever. You, <laughs> um, I have a phone. I can check. <laughs> but yeah, we have uh, we have 123 franchises, and we have something called the nymphomaniac constant which is um nymphomaniac being a two film franchise we thought that the first one was one of the best movies we've ever seen and the second one was one of the worst movies we've ever seen so it represents the true the true zero of our franchise ranking so things are either better than that franchise or worse than that franchise Richard, <laughs> what are you thinking about Meet the Parents? Are you thinking it's better or worse than the Nymphomaniac Constant? What send the um send the, the list right. to Michael and let, let him oh, have a look at just, it. Uh, Meet the Parents will be on this list, but that's just because I have pro- placed it at a random point um, in the thing, but that won't be where it stays. All right, I've I've posted it in the Zoom chat there if anyone wants to wants to look at it. I do. Sweet. So. Um, s- so yeah, we've currently got the Nymphomaniac constant at fifty three. So if that's the true zero, um, you know, not not good, not bad. Do yeah, do we think it goes above that? I think the good faith of the first original film, the the kind of iconicness of the the remake, and how to be honest, all right, meet the Fockers would place it above the Nymphomaniac constant. What do you think? Hmm. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Where, what number is Nymphomaniac at? <laughs> 53. 53. Okay. All right. So we're above. Uh, so right above Nymphomaniac is the Mighty Ducks. I probably prefer Meet the Parents to Mighty Ducks. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, agreed. M- Michael, if you're looking at this list. I am. I think I'd float it all the way up to 47. 47? I think I'd put it between Hangover and Halloween. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, going next to Hangover is good, actually. Yeah. It's it's nice to group these franchises together, where you're like, these are about the same. Um, <laughs> and when you, I look a little yeah. further up, like I think Blade and Jaws and Kung Fu Panda are definitely stronger than Meet the mm. Parents. But I think if I scroll down slightly, yeah, Hobbit, American Pie, Olympus has fallen. These are definitely worse mm. than Meet the Parents. So somewhere. Somewhere in the uh, 44 to 48 range. I like it yeah. next, to, next to The Hangover because that puts the two highest grossing adult comedy franchises next to each other. Yeah, you've got like a, nice. a classic, um, yeah, like like a, a, a classic comedy with a sequel, which is more or less the same, but a different location. And then a third film, which tries to do something different. And while it may have its moments, it, it doesn't work that well. Um, yeah. But then also, of course, with Meet the Parents, you've got the addition of the the thing so i would probably put it above the hangover okay below shanghai noon yep i agree i think that's probably the quickest Chuck those two owen wilson franchises (laughs) next to each other baby yeah i love it um michael is there any like egregious disagreements you have with our list (laughs) (laughs) what is this what's number three oh three colors i've only seen red but it is excellent i need to see yeah actually fun fact since recording that episode um three colors red is now the only movie with a 100 percent score on rotten tomatoes and metacritic 
Oh wow. Mm. Yeah, it's a great, great film. Mm. Uh the raid could be could afford to be high. See, I'd put the raid over Lethal Weapon personally, right. but no, I'm I'm a big fan of this list. Oh, cool. uh, by <laughs> and large, everything's where it should be, I think. Excellent. Minor, minor you know, yeah, but variances. we we will probably agree. <laughs> a lot of the stuff, like we'll look yeah, at yeah. it later and be like, oh, okay. "Why'd we rank that there? That's so confusing." Not a fan of scary movie, <laughs> generally. Fair enough. No, that's fair enough. Yeah, the, the, but there's a lot of these that you, yeah, where like if there's because like Fast and Furious is quite high up, even though it's you know your your mileage may vary, no pun intended. But it's um like the story of that as a franchise is so interesting mm. that it's like. It's place in the the annals of franchise history. Twilight it is suspiciously up. high. It's because you know, it's, oh. it's the age difference between you and and me and Richard. Oh, okay. that's totally like oh, yeah. Twilight is like this this little comfortable nest egg in my heart that I also hate. But <laughs> it's totally because I was of the right age when it came out. Yeah, and also we sure. interviewed uh, Chris White's Paul White's brother, mm. um, directed the second one, so we've obviously got a soft spot for that. But also, <laughs> it's kind of a running joke with this podcast. Not even a joke it's just a running truth um that charlie swan bella's dad from those films is like one of the greatest film characters of all time mm. i feel the exact same way about nymphomaniac so i get it <laughs> <laughs> sweet as all right okay um before we reveal what our next franchise is which was decided by our patrons over at patreon.com slash michael if people have enjoyed listening to your voice where can they find you these days oh yeah for more of this <laughs> voice all the time in your ears head on over to patreon.com Slash small beans. Patreon, you got to love it. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I do all kind. We do a wide variety of podcasts, occasional sketches. We hope to do more of those once, uh, you know, COVID abates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. small beans. I, Check it out. I um, discovered your uh, Off Hours, the the sort of spiritual sequel to After Hours. Mm-hmm. Discovered it um, later than I would have hoped I would have um I discovered about a year ago and was like holy shit it's back I was so excited so go check out uh, small beans yeah well FYI mm-hmm. we just uh the four of us the core after hours folks just finished scripting yet another oh because <laughs> I watched your you did bonus a, yeah 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 you did a bonus so, thing yeah yeah sorry you you explained we'll it be, <laughs> well, well <laughs> we had the show called after hours it got cut off abruptly yeah we wrote a finale that never aired, so we did a reading of it. At that reading, we set a charity goal, which was reached, which forced us, <laughs> I must admit, to, against our will, to write another new After Hours yeah. episode. So <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about and you're a fan of After Hours, check out Small Beans, because very soon we will have a reading with the original cast of a brand new After Hours episode, never before wow. released. And yeah. um, Michael, I told myself I wasn't going to bring this up, but I'm just going to. Um, I actually in, will you marry me? <laughs> Here we in, go. Uh, <laughs> in 2015, in the midst of a of a pre life crisis, I actually applied for a job at Cracked when you guys were all still there, um, and mm-hmm. I actually wrote two after hours spec scripts and sent them to you guys and never heard back but that's okay i'm not telling you to make you feel bad I just oh my it was, god it was why a, would you tell that story <laughs> I, I, i've written two after hours scripts well i tried to anyway so there you go all i can say is we did get occasionally yeah uh folks submitting scripts and we did shoot two i believe Damn. So, so close. yours was not good enough, I guess. <laughs> That's all I've ever wanted if that to makes hear. you feel any better, AJ. <laughs> 
Sweet. That is all good. I can. I'll, I will lick my wounds on my own time. Um, and of course. But we got to do this together. <laughs> yeah. This is like imp- live improv comedy. <laughs> That's man. true. We got 90 full minutes of after hours esque debate. That's I great. love it. This is essentially the conversations we would have mm. that, you know, you, you condense this into a script. You got an after hours. Oh, you know what mm. it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, this podcast is actually going to be five minutes. <laughs> so, of course, if you're wanting to find Cole Popcher, you, we're on all the places. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, just look up Cole Popcher or email us at media at gmail.com. You can join our Discord and you can donate to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Cole And speaking of Patreon, uh, the current the current winner of the next film franchise, Fortnite's franchise, uh, as voted on by our patrons, if you pay $1 or donate, I should say, $1 or more. Pay makes it sound like it's like a greedy corporation. Makes sense dirty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the winner is um, what I actually think is the weirdest patron-decided <laughs> franchise we've ever had. It's the two George of the Jungle movies. So <laughs> wow. tune in next fortnight for us covering Good George pull, of the Jungle. audience. And George of the Jungle yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, to give you a taste, another a couple of other franchises in, on this that were suggested it, it, this That month. it narrowly beat. Uh, <laughs> uh, we've got Indiana Jones <laughs> lost by two votes. Um, Percy Jones. Jackson. Um, well, you know, you cross Indiana Jones and George of the Jungle and you get The Mummy, which mm. is the official film of the Small Beans Network. Oh, so <laughs> I love The Mummy. All ties together. I think I've seen The Mummy probably more than I've seen any other movie, like more times. I've re- we, I watched that every week when I was like seven or eight. I've seen it once and I thought it was fine. <laughs> it's wow we can't we don't have three more hours but uh, also i'm not the right half of the small beans troop to be here explaining right. uh, my partner abe should explain but it's a perfect movie i agree and you can yeah. filter everything i said about meet the parents through that lens if you agree about the mummy then we, i'm a reliable source we, so when we, when we asked you to to come on our show michael we actually we originally asked you to be on the the barbie episode um and you mm. were like uh no, but I would come on a different episode. Yes. I was like, I will talk about movies and watch movies for free and we can chat about it, but I'm not going to watch eight Barbie movies. Come on. Come on. That's fair enough. Um, what? What? Because you sent us a bunch of suggestions, franchises you'd be willing to do. What was it about Meet the Parents that, that made it onto the list? Uh, honestly, that I was so excited to rewatch it and and sort of check in with the state of, because the one thing that stood out when I scanned my eyes over the list, the thing that surfaced in my mind was, oh yeah, I remember watching that and thinking, this is the most on edge of my seat I've ever been in a comedy. My heart is about to burst out of my chest. I can't believe how tense this is. I bet it doesn't feel that way anymore. Mm-hmm. I want to see if I'm right. And I was. It feels different now. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting that to is, me. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And it's also it's also cool to it's this is a cool franchise to do because it's one of those ones that like I mean even though Little Fox is grossed insanely high but th- these franchises where people know and have seen some of them but not all of them yeah like i don't know anyone that's actually seen little fuckers but people that are interested to know what it was it's a good like. excuse to complete the set as well mm, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah 
that's what this this podcast is. All right. Uh, thank <laughs> you so much, Michael. And um, we'll let you go now. And uh, listeners, stay tuned for our post-credit scene, which we still need to record. Um, so that'll be fresh <laughs> because this episode is also coming out in a couple of hours. It's basically, the link that'll take me to edit, I'm going to throw it up because this is um, coming to people a little bit late this week. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Michael. And um, we'll... Yeah, because Michael was too busy dealing with a celebrity's schedule. <laughs> and we were like, oh, I can't imagine how hard it would be <laughs> to deal with someone more famous than you's schedule. <laughs> it was Ben Stiller, all right? You gotta know. No, it's true. I had shoots, and I do appreciate audience blame me. Mm. Uh, I hope I made up for it with my witty quips and insights. But I'm the reason it's a day late. (laughs) And let's just sit. Let's end on that awkward beat. (laughs) And true meet the parents' fish. I fucked up your shit. Sorry. All right, and we are back with the post credit scene. This is, of course, a segment of our show where if you uh, donate $5 or more over at patreon.com slash you get to give us a little thing to talk about, a, little, a cute little thing to talk about. Um, and today, watch which one of these shall we do? We've got a bunch of new ones down here. Um, do you want to pick one of them? <laughs> we should really do this before. Um, <laughs> I, I did think um, that we there's, there's this one that we oh, should yeah. probably do at some point because it's it's I feel like it has an expiry date. Okay, let's do that um, one. Okay, so um, this comes to us from David Draper. Uh, hi, David. Who asks, what are your thoughts on the Julian Dennison subway ad? Now, there's obviously some context required here. Mm. So, subway is a sandwich shop <laughs> and the kind of... <laughs> um, so, um, okay, Julian Dennison, we kind of, we've spoken about him a lot on this podcast, um, more than we should for someone that, you know, there's a very real chance could listen to this podcast mm. or could have a friend recommend this to Local them. Local celebrity Julian Dennison, who's also at least very least started his career as a child actor. So the person we've been making fun of is a child yeah. actor. <laughs> so, so Julian Dennison is Ricky Baker in Hunt for the World of People. He was in Deadpool 2. He's the he's the MacGuffin of that film, essentially. He's going to be in Godzilla vs. Kong. Uh, he's the bad guy in Christmas Chronicles 2. He pops up in, in things now and then. And his whole kind of shtick is that he's like a chubby New Zealand kid from like the streets. And that's and it's played to perfection. And the, the whole of Hunt for the World of People is written around this kid existing. And unfortunately... Uh, he supremely sucks in almost everything he's been in. He ruined the Christmas Chronicles two, a movie that was not even that great. But he, mm. it's just Didn't astonishing. Need ruining. It, yeah, it's astonishing how bad he is in that. And we've progressively watched as you know one of New Zealand's only world famous celebrities basically has yeah. just been embarrassing done embarrassing role after embarrassing role he did a um an air new zealand safety yeah. so video. this this is what he's going so so air new zealand uh, you know our, our regional airline or one of our regional airlines has is kind of famous for doing these these fun safety videos so they did a hobbit one they got ian mccallum they got the whole the, the cast to do these things like um you know the, the safety videos where they show you where all the the exits are and, and all in the gas mark the mask will come down um it has has all that, and then uh, what else have they done? The, the first one they did was where it was like the attendants um, with like skin, their skin painted rather than the uniform, so it was like naked, like just just the safety. It's, um, yeah, but yeah, so so the, 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 and they, they they're quite big budget. They tend to be, and there's like a bit of an event each year when they release the new one. 
They did one called It's Kiwi Safety. We starred Julian Dennison and a local rapper uh, called... I don't know. You know Randa. so much more about Randa. us than... Yeah, um, yeah, Lars Reinder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, in it, they rap a parody of It's Tricky by Run DMC. And... Uh, you know, you, you might think that that's a not a really relevant song. It's not. It's not. It's not. Welcome a New Zealand to Air song. New Zealand safety it, videos. Yeah. Um, but so it was like it's Kiwi to be safe and fly. It, it was. It, it honestly, it, like I, normally, I would say here, like, oh, go look at that. This is actually one of the worst pieces of content I've ever seen in my entire life. Mm. And you're trapped in a fucking steel cage when you watch it and and if you're not paying attention they tell you you have to and it's yeah. and it's it's so long it's the longest one they've done it's over 5 minutes long and like if english was your second language you would not know what the fuck they are saying and it, and has, then, so, it so, has the it has all the creative energy of like a soccer mum wearing her new christmas sweater trying to hmm. entertain her kids by changing the words to to tricky you know like a parody yeah. a parody's got to reach a certain level before it crosses that threshold yeah and, but and this does not reach that level yeah and so this is like features julian dennison rapping and it it was it was universally hated yeah. like actually like it. a visceral reaction they pulled it they put it, they, also, they, it uh, recently it came out Air New Zealand has committed war crimes so <laughs> fuck them as well on that um but yeah like I, I genuinely I forced myself to watch it so I could have an informed opinion on it but I was watching like through the cracks in my fingers it was mm. that bad um and then hey there it's Michelle Norris I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen when I travel I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home and one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain and Airbnb allows me to do that when I was in California recently I rented a house that had a great kitchen and when we were sitting around the table we're all thinking we're in someone else's house someone could be in all of our homes as well if you have a home but you're not always at home you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Uh, in, at the end of 2019, Subway announced they were cutting ties with their, or Subway New Zealand at least, uh, might have been international, but they were cutting ties with their advertising agency. Um, and this was like, and they held a, a bidding war for a, a new advertising agency to represent them and they they came out um at the end of last year or the start of this year they they came out with with the first new ad from the or the ad campaign from the winner of um of, of the thing and it features julian dennison rapping a parody of a 90s song and it's it's, it's him doing um a a a parody of the fresh prince and it's like yo script that skip that grease and eat fresh instead and it's all about like yeah my life this got is a story all down. about how my sandwiches flipped upside down i don't know yeah and, and it's and it's terrible and it's terrible and it plays everywhere it's an unskippable ad on youtube all of the time and it's honestly like you have to have known you can't have lived in New Zealand and not known the response to that in New Zealand safety ad, and you and you thought that was a good idea to emulate. It's insane. It's insanity. It's 
It's god awful. To answer your question, David, I fucking hate it. I fucking hate it. I don't know how anyone could like it. And if you go on the Subway New Zealand Facebook page and whenever they post the video, people are like, this is trash. They go, oh, well, I'm sorry you don't like it, but I think the Fresh Prince and Eat Fresh is a match made in heaven. And that's not, I had no idea that was the connection until <laughs> I saw that comment. This is, it's garbage. It's bananas. That's why they made it's, the comment. Oh, it's insane. <laughs> I, think, I think what's, what's so truly um, almost deceitful about it is that if julian dennison wasn't in it i think he would hate it like he's the mm. the demographic of the people of that's like, pretty cringe yeah it's would pretty say it's cringe. cringe he would say it's cringe yeah. <laughs> and it's also like you know having a quite clearly overweight teenager talk to you about like how they love eating fresh and eating at subway it's like i mean i like okay problems aside i understood jared as a as a like <laughs> as a mascot um and that you know or, or actually let's go less problematic clay henry remember clay henry he got I, a big I'm on sorry, burgers and fries saying that, now he's um, down to a smaller fries are you smaller saying that, Fuck. That, that julian dennison is worse than than subway jared <laughs> yeah um but you know yeah like like it's not about like a transformation or something like that it's just like look this fat kid eats subway and I, the what, whole what, what what boils my blood, Richard, really, is that whoever is Julian Dennison's agent has put me, another chubby New Zealander who's older than this kid, in a position where I have no choice but to acknowledge um, how trash his work is. I don't want to do this. I think it's mean-spirited. I think it's mm. borderline bad. Like, we maybe shouldn't release this post credit scene because of how close to home it is. We will be because this episode has to go out very shortly. Um, but it's... it's it's if Ju- Julian, <laughs> Julian, if you are listening to this, my dude, it's not you. Let I, us manage you. I, yeah, exactly. It's, I, <laughs> I think the problem is the people who represent you don't get what you can do or... Um, want you to just do the same thing, and I think we should you- do we should do a, an off week podcast that's fixing Julian Dennison's career. Wow! And get him on for it. <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. <laughs> 